0: So today we're going to be speaking with Brett Cooper. She's one of the most prominent Gen Z political commentators who's quickly grown an audience of more than two and a half million through her outspoken opposition to the woke agenda with the Daily Wire. I guess you might also know her as the female Ben Shapiro. What surprised me most about this episode was just how shocking her story was and how that led to her beliefs today.
1: I was emancipated at 15 and I moved to California to pursue acting about 10 years ago. I was acting in Atlanta first, lived in New York for a bit doing theater, then went out to LA for film and TV. And so I was working there professionally for about 10 years. You're
0: going to want to make sure to subscribe because next week we're also posting our discussions with Hassan Piker, who's on the complete opposite end of the political spectrum. And you don't want to miss out on that. So subscribe. And now with that said, a quick message from our video sponsor first.
2: By the way, man, now that we're off camera, I wanted to run by you my next business idea. It's basically like drop shipping, but for endangered animal species. Cameras are still on. Nobody steal my idea. Anyways, man, I'm still trying to figure out how to get it funded. And getting a bank loan has been an absolute
0: nightmare. Well, I mean, if simple and hassle-free funding is what you're looking for, then our sponsor Fund & Grow is able to help. And they're down below in the description.
2: Wait, Graham, down below where?
0: The description, Jack. Not not under the table. What about
2: my endangered animals?
0: It's on you. (laughs) It's on you, man. (laughs) Look, Fund & Grow understands how difficult it could be for small businesses to get a loan. Bank loans are notoriously restrictive and full of red tape, but unlike a bank loan, Fund & Grow offers a 12-month membership where you could secure up to $250,000 of credit at 0% interest without giving up any equity in your company. Fund & Grow already has over 4,000 4.9 star reviews, and I think that's because
2: people are seeing genuine results from such fast and simple funding. And as a special offer for our listeners, Fund & Grow has prepared a business funding masterclass with five simple steps of how to to get
0: $250,000 in business credit. Plus, as an exclusive bonus, you'll receive a $500 discount on their services. So don't wait to fund and grow your business. Visit Fund and Grow today
2: using the link down below in the description.
0: Oh, and also guys, make sure to check out what's called icedcoffeehour.club because the .com was taken. We're actually doing this kind of right now. We're filming an episode just with Jack and I about uh, you know business and behind the scenes and all that. So if you guys are interested, check out icedcoffeehour.club. Or the link is down below in the description go check it out and now let's get into the podcast
1: welcome back to the Ice coffee hour i'm brett cooper we are here in nashville at our studios i just made some iced coffee in my office for jack and graham how do you think it is i think it's
2: fantastic it's <laughs> growing on me the first few sips were I would say eight out of ten. Okay. Now, Nine point five out of ten.
1: Awesome. I mean, I took a risk by putting the Chick Fil A ice in there. Yeah. I knew it was gonna melt faster. Mm-hmm.
0: It's bold. I, I like it. I didn't put it
1: in yours though. No, I, I got the regular
0: ice. Uh, mine's great though. I put haz- hazelnut in this. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's good. Twenty cent iced coffee.
1: I love that. So, Cheers, guys. Cool.
0: Cheers. Thank you so much it. for doing this. Yes, really I'm appreciate so excited. This. Mad, you just start choking on it, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) We came all the way here to Nashville
2: for you, and you were so gracious, Mm. this entire set, you guys set it up, (laughs) extremely appreciative of it. Mm. We just, I feel like we can't not mention what just happened. We went to go tour some homes. You and Graham were like filming because you're looking to buy a house. We can talk about that later. And while you were filming, just after we arrived at the house, there was some banging, loud banging. Yeah. I thought Jack had fallen.
0: He, yeah, he no thought
2: joke, Jack cause... had fallen. He thought I had <laughs> slipped down the stairs. And, yeah, no, I didn't Jack fall. Jack was about to
0: walk up the steps. I was like, oh,
2: crap, he fell. I was, yeah. yeah he thought I fell, but actually what happened mm-hmm. was a huge limb off of a tree fell over, crashed over, to- probably total th- two, two. Yeah, two,
1: three, cars. three cars. Three cars, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, that was freaky it was like your entire cruise cars
1: so we have a tornado warning all day today Mm -hmm. but the storm we thought was going to be over obviously um so we were going to cancel the video because we weren't even sure because it was storming or like should we even go out there and then it was so sunny so yeah it was wild i'm grateful that everybody's okay though you know it works out better for my video
0: i get excited for this weather though i have to say like when it's windy like that it was raining earlier i was so excited i told jack earlier like it's supposed to uh there's supposed to be lightning and thunder Mm -hmm. like i was looking forward to that Extreme oh, conditions so. are the best. I grew up in like
2: Ventura, which is a very temperate yeah. place. And whenever I see extreme temperatures or mm-hmm. extreme winds and stuff like that, it just excites me because it's so normal
0: there. Yeah. And it's a blessing.
3: Yeah. yeah. Very it's fortunate.
0: Very fun. So. Well tell us a bit about your story. Yeah. Uh I first found you, I think, on Twitter. Okay. It was a female Ben Shapiro. <laughs> and,
4: I and I saw the
0: resemblance and I thought, okay, you guys are related somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, to clear the air, you guys are not related.
1: We're not related. Although you gave me the great idea that we should do a DNA test just, just, test just to it. see if there's any mm-hmm.
0: There might be something there. there I might, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: because I didn't see it. I think it's the eyebrows, but I really don't know. We should actually do a side-by-side, but I've seen it in some photos um but the
0: mannerisms too are like very similar i would say so yeah and i didn't
1: grow up watching ben so that's one like i don't think i adopted it because of that um i was like a hardcore like michael knowles fan i loved like you know candace before coming here but i would listen to ben and i knew who he was but i wasn't somebody who religiously watched his show and so a lot of people you know have said you know oh you know you're right wing you probably like grew up watching ben like that's why you talk i'm like literally no we just speak very very quickly and talk with our hands a lot apparently um but no so yeah I am a daily wire now I host the comment section Mm -hmm. was not hired because of any relation to daily wire even though many people think that but I am originally from Chattanooga Tennessee and then I moved to California to pursue acting about 10 years ago I was acting in Atlanta first lived in New York for a bit doing theater um, and then went out to LA for film and TV, and so I was working there professionally for about ten years.
0: How did you get into acting?
1: So I was deathly shy as a child. Okay. And my brother's high school was doing a production of The Wiz, and which is like an adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, and they needed the siblings of some of the kids at school to be like the Munchkins at the end of the show, and like to stand, like do a couple of songs, and then come out and be like cute and tiny. Mm-hmm. I think I was five at the time, no five or six. Um, deathly shy. My mom knew some people that were working you know, on the show, my brothers were not into theater whatsoever. And she was like, this is the opportunity to get my kid like over this. Cause I would not talk to people. And this was like something that she was actively working on. My mother is incredible. She was a very, very intentional parent. Mm-hmm. And so she knew I was very shy. So she would, you know, stand outside of a gas station, bring and, you know, make me go inside with a $5 bill and buy something. She would watch me like go up with, you know, to the counter with a candy bar oh, wow. and have to talk to the person. Why were you or shy? Like Do you
0: remember like the reason? Was it nervous not, of strangers?
1: Not really. I don't really know. I just think I was uncomfortable. Um, not to go you know, go in a totally different direction, yeah. but one of my brothers died when I was five years old. Mm. And so I think I mean that totally blew up the dynamic of my family and I think at a very young age that was something I didn't really understand I remember at one point like we had a bunch of people at our house shortly after he died like you know bringing casseroles and that sort of thing and I was literally like hiding in a cupboard and I was just like I didn't really know how to process it my whole family was very chaotic I didn't really know how to interact with people at school after that it was very very defensive and I think I just kind of shut down um because at you know five years old how are you supposed to process anything like that Mm. And I think my family was so concerned with you know my older brothers who were you know Mm-hmm. seemingly more impacted by it than sure. I was so I th- I would say that is the root cause of it um obviously I don't have that issue anymore um <laughs> I credit a lot of that to acting mm. so I think that was why but she was very intentional with getting me out of my shell and making sure that you know once she noticed that this was a pattern she was like I want to make sure that this is addressed so she signed me up to basically do this show and was like maybe she'll like it I don't know never you know did any theater herself was never a stage mom never wanted that Uh, thought it would be a one and done and i fell in love with it like i just came alive i loved music um even before that i you know i was already doing ballet and i just loved performing and i loved storytelling in any capacity um and then i just kept begging to do more shows so i did a few other shows with the high school just being like the you know one of Mm -hmm. 10 siblings that would be on stage like doing a little dance number to community theater um auditioned for a few regional professional productions my first professional job was singing with the Atlanta Symphony and Opera and I was one of their like chorus kids and was paid to do (laughs) opera basically at I think seven years old eight years old started doing like long-running regional productions I did a you know production of Annie that I think ran for four months when I was 10 years old and then got uh, representation so I had an agent and manager at the time they brought whose
0: idea was that there's a big Me. leap between doing like this was all what you. you were doing yeah. and, and getting into that, like in a manager. Yeah.
1: So I, with doing professional things, I just kept asking for more. And so, you know, our community theater didn't really have a ton of productions where they would, you know, have kids involved. And so I would say, like, where else could I audition? Like, what, what where else can I go? Um, and so we would, you know, my mom and I would sit at the computer and I would find, okay, well, this one's an hour away. Let's really? try to do this. So yeah. you'd go
0: on the computer and find your We would or... go together. Yeah. What did you like so much about it?
1: I love the fact that I could tell stories to somebody else. Something that I've dealt with for a very long time is that I felt like I could not actually effectively communicate what I was feeling. I was like very very bottled up and I, you know, credit a lot of that to my family. Not only did my brother die, my, you know, parents had a very very messy divorce. Just grew up in a very very turbulent home. Mm. And I think that acting gave me the outlet that I needed in order to express myself. Um, and I loved telling stories. I loved being able to be somebody else for two hours. Um, I so loved,
0: it might have been a bit of an escape in yeah, a sense of just like you zone escape. out. You could be somebody yeah. else, tell a story, the make people laugh. The sure. of it.
1: Um, I loved connecting with an audience too. I mean, I did, you know, TV and film for 10 years, but – when I am on stage, it's like nothing else. Hmm. Like the energy of having hundreds of people in the room and they are along the journey with you. And I think that's the beautiful thing about theater. So whenever I hear people be like, oh, I don't really like musical theater. I don't like theater. I'm like, just try it. Because you're sitting in this room together as a community going through this like hour and a half long journey together. And as the actor on stage, it's a much more demanding task because you can't really take breaks. It's not like, ah, oh, you know, I screwed up that line. Let me try it again. Sure. It's like you are in it. For an hour and a half, the adrenaline rush is insane. You are outside of yourself, basically, for an hour and a half. And even as a kid, I think I needed that. And I just became a totally different person. Um, And it it broke me out of my shell. I had so much fun. Yeah, it was a big leap. So I started doing professional stuff. And I had this one goal. I wanted to be Jane Banks in the Broadway production of Mary Poppins, which was currently on Broadway at the time. I think Mm -hmm. it was probably 10 or 11. I had seen the musical multiple times. I was like, that is what I want. I want to play that role. It's so fun. So then, and this is all people, sometimes people don't believe it, but like my mother did not want me to do this. She wasn't like actively act like going against it, but she was like, I'm not going to push you to do this. Like We live in Tennessee. My brothers were in college. She was dealing with a failing marriage. Like This was not the time to be like getting her kid into professional, whatever. Mm -hmm. I wrote a letter to a manager who repped three of the girls that had been jane banks on broadway and i found him because i would watch i would actively watch interviews of like young women that were on broadway like anywhere from my age to like 15 years old like how did they do this how did they mm-hmm. get to do that and i saw this guy like for the interviews and, like um and he was their agent at the time and then he became a manager So I found where he was currently working and I wrote him a letter and I said, you know, these are all the things that I've been in. I desperately want to be Jane Banks. And then I, (laughs) he still has it, I think. Um, But I did a drawing of myself in the Jane Banks outfit on a stage and I sent it to him. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, wow. like 100%. Um, I'm somebody that like i will take take any risk if i can give one piece of advice to anybody my age it's just like just ask mm-hmm. if you just write a letter if you just like the worst that somebody can say is no but at least you tried right people are so damn terrified to just shoot your shot it's like please just go for it um anyway so i sent this letter and i got an email back and he was like will you fly up to new york and meet with me so i remember going to his tiny office in manhattan and i sang a song and i did a monologue and he how old were you at the time sto- uh, I was 10 years old. So my mom flew off with me. And she was like, this is insane. What are insane. her thoughts? Like
0: you're flying to New York to meet with a guy who's repping these people on Broadway. She,
1: I mean, she did like, you know, research about him. and was like, sure. where are we going into that kind of thing? But Wait,
0: were you sending this directly to him? Was she like the intermediary? Like you're giving it to her and she sends it to him? Yes, or? like
1: we would go. Like we went to the mailbox together oh, wow. and like sent it okay. off. But I was the driving force behind all of it.
0: I bet she's thinking like, oh, this is cute. Let's just do this. <laughs> exactly,
1: yeah. And to her... <laughs> you know parenting style. i don't think that she would have done this if my brother had not died um her parenting style totally changed after my brother david's death um and she has made most decisions since then based on um especially in my youth you know if she had known that david was only going to have 17 years would she have said yes to doing this so if you know he had wanted to go pursue something if he had wanted to travel to do some he was an artist if he had wanted to do some like crazy art program oh, and wow. go You know, would she have said yes, knowing that he only had 17 years? And so I'm the youngest and it totally changed her perspective for me. And so obviously I don't think that these were easy decisions to say like, all right, let me allow my child to go into this room and pursue these things. But I was so, so excited about it. I was so passionate and, you know, she and anybody in your, in my family will be able to tell you that like my self-confidence, my personality, it totally just blossomed with being able to do performing.
2: But hold that thought Brett, of course The Daily Wire is a hundred plus million dollar company that probably spends millions of dollars on video production every year, but it really shouldn't cost that much to create high quality content.
0: Like if you're looking to get started, one of the best ways that you could begin is with a software like our sponsor StreamYard. StreamYard is a live streaming software that allows you to create high quality content with the click of a button. All you need is a camera and an internet connection to be able to stream directly from your browser.
2: And one of my personal favorite features is that they allow you to multi-stream, which basically means that you can stream to Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn and more all at the same
0: time. I also really enjoyed that StreamYard offers various analytic tools so that you can measure the success of every single one of your live streams and you're able to see which platform is bringing in the most traffic. StreamYard is really one of the best ways to get started creating content without spending any money whatsoever and they also offer a free package so that you can get started without any risk whatsoever.
2: Check out StreamYard today with our link down below in the description. On top of all of those incredible benefits, they've also just been an amazing supporter of the podcast and they help us do what we do every Sunday for you guys. So it would mean a lot if you check them out with a link down below in the description. Thank you so much, StreamYard, and back to the podcast.
1: But yeah, I signed with this manager and so I started auditioning for things on Broadway. I ended up getting the role of Jane Banks Hmm. and it I was gonna be coming in. I had to come back for one last meeting and the girl who's currently playing the role, her contract was going to be up. And there's a thing on Broadway where if you are under the age of eighteen, you cannot be taller. I think at the time, it was like, um, you cannot be taller than five foot one mm-hmm. because from the back of the house, they want to make sure that you look shorter than the adults that are wow, on stage. Wow. So you need to look like a child. And I had a huge growth spurt over those two months periods, two month period. So I came back. They measure you first thing when you walk in the door mm-hmm. and there's the audition height. Um, and if you are taller than that, you can't audition. And then there's show height where they will literally end your contract if you go, if you get too tall. And so I had surpassed both the audition no. height and the show height. And so that totally kicked me out of the running for any other Broadway show. Doesn't that so make was... you
0: really critical of like your body at that age yes. where you're just like, not good it. enough? Like I would like... stand there and I would like yeah. hunch myself right. down. And
1: I continued auditioning for a few months after that. Like there was the revival of Annie that was coming up. Um, I was way too tall for Matilda. Matilda was on Broadway. Billy Elliot had just closed. This was all just a bunch of like theater nerd mm-hmm. stuff. But there were a ton of shows that had kids in them at that time. And I literally could not audition for any of them. How
2: tall were you?
1: I was like five two. I think so. I, I was okay, like, so like barely. barely over, barely wow. over. Yeah. But I was ten years old and five two, and so it was like that was it. Okay. And so I had this whole management team, and I remember going into a meeting and sitting down, and they were like, "So you can go home to Chattanooga and wait until you're eighteen. You can wait eight years." And then you can start auditioning for broadway again you can just keep doing the regional theater you're doing you know we'll stick with you or if you wanted to you could go out to la and try film and tv and my mom was like absolutely not like she's from california we talked about this in the car mm-hmm. um she spent most of her adult life in california prior to moving to tennessee she just wanted a different pace um and she was like i'm not going every time that she's left california she said i'm never coming back even though she was born in la and i begged i was like please like i can't just sit at home and do this and so i started auditioning um via tape And so she was like let's just see if there's any bites like let's try you doing film let's get you in a film class see if you even like doing this before we literally send you to la to do something um i still loved it i started getting callbacks for things and so we rented out a friend's apartment in la and my mom and my dad and i drove across the country did route 66 and i lived there with her for three months And I did, like, every, you know, casting director workshop. I did all of these acting classes. I was auditioning nonstop, did a few commercials. Um, I got a L.A. management and agency. And then from that point on, for the next four years, I would spend six months at home in Tennessee and then six months um, in Los Angeles. So I would go in the fall and then the spring in L.A. Mm -hmm. and spend the rest of the time at home. Um, And I loved it. It was, like, I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And I feel... Very, very fortunate that I got the chance to have a professional career at a young age. And I don't think that that's many, you know, I don't think that that's something that many people would want. Yeah. And I definitely sacrificed a lot for it, but I loved it so much.
0: Well, tell us about your schooling at that time. Yes. Because how do you balance the two?
1: <laughs> so I was in public school from kindergarten to third grade. Uh, my mom pulled me out um, in third grade because my reading level was above that of my class. She had a meeting with... Um, my teacher and said could I give you know could I give you some books for Brett to read so that you know she stays interested and is not falling behind or anything like that it's not getting bored not being complacent the teacher said I just have too many students I can't do it so my mom pulled me out and she created the curriculum up until sixth grade
0: so you're homeschooled from third to sixth okay Mm -hmm. what was that like for you like being pulled out, it. not so you liked it.
2: How are you it. making yeah. friends through this whole process? Cause especially yeah. if you're like living in two different states yeah. and then being homeschooled, how are you so meeting people?
1: So when we were still in Chattanooga and I had not gone out to LA f- yet, I was doing ballet multiple times a week mm. and then I was a competitive gymnast. So I did that multiple times a week. I was in a choir, so I met people through that. Every show that I did, I would make friends through that. You know, friends in the neighborhood that I still knew from public school. Um, that is like the primary question that anybody who's homeschooled gets, and some people, you know, hate it because their parents did not go out and find them extracurricular opportunities and did not find them ways to be socialized. I literally would not change my experience with the world. I had the most diverse group of friends because rather than having, you know, one group of people that you go through, you know, K through 8, then you go into high school or whatever, and it's, you know, the same demographic from that same neighborhood – I was friends with people of all different ages, you know, on my gymnastics team from all different parts of town, you know, boys and girls, I had to interact with adults constantly because I was, you know, dealing with my ballet teachers and my gymnastics coaches and spent a lot of time, you know, wherever my mom was volunteering or my dad was working, like I would go and do school at his office. And so I was constantly interacting with his secretaries and, you know, his coworkers. So at a very young age, I became adept at socializing with adults, which I think is so beneficial and it made me a lot more confident and you know willing to network and start working at a young age so i remember you know being in high school and i wanted a side job and so You know, I would be talking with my friends and say, I want to go, you know, apply at this place. And they're like, you just go in and you talk to them. It's like, yeah, it's fine. And so I would go into Mm -hmm. Trader Joe's, drop off my resume, go to, you know, Lush Beauty, drop off a resume. Um, I was just so comfortable with it. And then on top of that with acting, you're constantly interacting with, you know, casting directors, directors, producers, writers, you know, adult actors that you're working with. You're in a professional environment. You have to be able to work at that level. With child actors, they will give you some grace for being a kid, but you also, like, they won't hire you if you're a an idiot that's like rolling around and being super immature. Mm-hmm. so you kind of have to up your game um so that is how I you know socialized for those few years and then I did an online private school but in this online private school you could still customize your curriculum that's something my mom cared very much about prior to investing in real estate and yeah. then being a stay-at-home mom she was a textbook publisher with W.W. Norton so mm-hmm. she was deep into academia knew what she wanted me to be reading knew what textbooks you know she wanted me to be reading so with my teachers, she would work at the beginning of the year, and we would all go over the curriculum. And it was usually tailored to things that I was very interested in. I'm a super, super heavy reader. I love, love literature. And so, rather than reading, you know, six books in a semester, I was reading thirty, maybe. Um, and what sort of
0: books were you reading?
1: Just classic literature, really? primarily. Yeah. Okay. And every week was like a different. You know, we would do American literature. We do it from this time period. We would do British literature. I remember. I think I read Jane Eyre when I was ten years old for the first time. Oh my
0: gosh! Here I was reading Goosebumps. <laughs> I love this book, though.
1: So. <laughs> I mean, I had my uh, Nancy Drew phase. I think I've okay, read yeah, all like sure. fifty five Nancy Drews, you okay. know, <laughs> about wow. three times.
3: Sure.
1: Um, but I had a very, very academically rigorous upbringing, even though I was also working um, and it all sounds very, very intense, but I had so much fun um, and I loved it was worth for me, you know, having to time block, I guess, and time, manage my school if I was going to be on set. Um, And I would, you know, work on it at night or, you know, on set, you usually have like a tutor. And so they would make sure that I was going through all my schoolwork and I would have my laptop there and be doing things. And that's what I did, you know, until graduation, except for one year. I went to a normal public school in Atlanta for my ninth grade year. What was that like? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. I, I asked to go. Um, my friends were going to this performing arts high school. Um, and I knew these friends from doing theater in Atlanta. And I went and I saw one of their like, school productions. I was mm. like, this is insane. It was called Pebble Brook High School. It's one of the best like public performing arts high schools in the country. And I looked at my mom and I was like, I want to go here. This is insane. Like, I want to try to be normal. I want to take a break from LA for a year. I'll still audition, but I want to go see what this is like. And I thought it would be really, really cool. I hadn't sung in a long time. And so I could be a vocal major and, you know, do all the musicals. Mm. So I auditioned, we got a rental house in Cobb County, Atlanta, and I went for a year and within like two months, I knew it was not for me. Um, what did you dislike about it? I did not like that my time was dictated by somebody else, basically. So I felt like I was so unproductive, which seems absurd for like a 14 mm-hmm. year old to be saying in ninth grade. I was actually, I think, 13 in, uh, in my ninth grade year because um, I graduated college at nineteen. I think 1925 mm-hmm. I think I was 13 12 turning 13 my freshman year of high school. Um and I hated that for 6 hours of the day I was sitting in a classroom when I knew because I'd been homeschooled for so long I could get all of this work done in a 2 hour span. Like the busy work I didn't need mm-hmm. to do. I didn't like having to like watch other people's hands being held. I didn't like the disruptions in class. Um and then I would stay late for dance rehearsals, musical rehearsals, auditions and that sort of thing. And then I would go home and because I didn't feel academically challenged I went to my counselor and i said can i do online ap classes so my entire time there i was doing a normal class load at school i stayed an additional hour afterwards if you were a magnet performing arts high school or a magnet performing arts student at the school you stayed an additional hour and did like a dance class a vocal class or whatever and then I would often have rehearsals afterwards Then I would come home, I would do yeah. my homework and then I would do AP classes. Why couldn't you
0: have just dropped out? I know. Like, <laughs> it seems silly to me that you were homeschooled for so long, mm-hmm. go for two months. I would just say, let's go back to homeschooling. Like, yeah. What's What kept you there? Why because I made see? a
1: commitment and I wanted to really? see it through. Yeah.
2: Well, you moved your entire parents.
1: But right? just because like, you exactly. made a
0: decision doesn't mean you have to commit. Like what's <clears throat> exactly. the benefit of committing at that point? I would just say I guess like, you know following
1: through and being able to say that I did it. Okay, sure. Um, You know I made this commitment with myself I wanted to try it I also wanted to be able to say later down the line I did go to I I went to a public school I tried it and I know both sides of the story Um, and I had also kind of fed into the assumption that being homeschooled made you weird um, and that I was off by that and I wanted to see if normal high school was like the movies basically depicted it I wanted the Letterman jacket I wanted Mm -hmm. to like go to homecoming do all that stuff it just wasn't for me yeah sure. um but it also was one of the because I did all those extra AP classes it was one of the best academic years for me hmm. at 13 years old I don't remember how many people were in it was a huge school I think it was maybe over 2,000 people were in my freshman class I ended up first in my class um, at the end of the year hmm. and so I was really really proud of that um, and did then you, I just did, you did. Have
0: friends yep. throughout the process so I'm yeah. still
1: friends with them wow. um, yeah but I didn't first semester I knew that it really wasn't going to be for me, but I wanted to make the best of it. I did every musical. I auditioned for everything. I tried to, you know basically sucked the marrow out of life as much as I could have. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the second semester, I felt so tied down and so unhappy that I hated who I had become. I felt like I was not being a good friend, people that I had loved in the first semester. I, was, I didn't feel like I was treating them as well. I just felt very distant. I wanted to get out. Um, and I was so much happier when I made the decision to leave. And now I'm you know, still Got friends it. with them. Yeah. We stay in contact, and they went through all you know, three years. But it was the best decision, I think, for me to go and learn that. Yeah. Um, I think it forced me to kind of realize that what I was doing was the right thing for me. Um, And it was a challenge, for sure, because it was a different learning environment forced me to adapt. So
0: I remember seeing homeschool kids as a kid Mm -hmm. and they were always kind of weird.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, That would be my biggest concern of like ever Mm -hmm. doing homeschooling is feeling like they're in a bubble. Yeah. That they don't get the true experience. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be like out there kind of like forging their own path. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about that?
1: I think it comes down to the parents and how you dictate it. Because obviously if you keep your kid just inside and you don't facilitate any other kind of extracurriculars, they're not going to benefit from it. But the benefit of homeschooling is the opportunities and the freedom and the flexibility that you do have. So if you are in, you know, like my online school that I went to, yeah. I didn't have to finish all my classes by a certain period. I had like nine months. And so if I wanted to get everything done in two weeks, I could have. If I said, hey, you know, I'm shooting this movie, I'm not going to be able to do this for mm-hmm. three months, I could pick it up later. Yeah, um, You know, with home, I didn't go to a, we tried a co-op for a bit where you would go, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for like two hours in the morning, and you would get graded. Didn't really love that. The opportunities weren't great in Chattanooga. But I had so much flexibility, so I was able to do – everything that i was interested in i took art classes i did gymnastics i volunteered um and that was only because i had the time to do it i was not you know in school until 3 p.m i spent Mm -hmm. so much time with my family i spent so much quality time with my brothers my relationship with my mom is one of the things that i'm most proud of and we really developed that over you know that period um i also think i inherited and you know this could be a benefit or a drawback depending on whether people like me or don't like Mm me um I inherited a lot of her values because of that. Because I spent so much quality time with her, that she was the one who raised me, not a teacher.
3: Mm.
1: And I think that that is so important because when you look at the statistics of how much time kids are spending with their parents these days, I think that the Department of Labor—it's like 35 minutes a day. That's it. Yeah.
2: What? When you, but what, what, you, but what okay, age? No, what is it? We gotta figure out the parameters. Of
1: right. what yeah. So I like, need to like, look at like age? what the actual sure. you know ages. But when you remove like bathing making dinner watching a movie together like that kind of like that's not like like actual quality time when you are face to face with your kid bonding doing an activity where you are interacting yeah not just like sitting in front of a screen or not like oh my kid's in the same room but farther away but like that's an average of 35 minutes a day I, I think that was in 2021 was when you know I saw that stat that was not the case for me like, I mean, I was with them all the time, whether I was at my dad's office doing work, whether whether I was with her, whether I was with grandparents, I spent so much time with mm. family. And I'm very lucky that I, you know, love my family. Um, but that's something that I also, you know, do not take for granted yeah. at all. But I think that that's something that parents should be concerned about. And obviously, you know, depending on your, you know, financial situation, your job situation might not be possible. And obviously you do need to consider, you know, the education system, the public schools and that sort of thing in your area. Mm. But... It's really taking into consideration, like, who is raising your kid at the end of the day? Who is spending that, whether it's the media, whether it's teachers. And my mom didn't homeschool me because of that, but I think that that is a result of this. She was never pulling out of school because of an ideology or anything like that. It was simply because she wanted a better education for me. But by default, like, I, I think I got a really incredible, you know, physical education, but also, like, emotionally you know, the interpersonal side of it. But
0: why do you feel like there's sometimes a stigma? Let's just Mm -hmm. say if uh, the homeschool kid goes out into the real world, they go crazy. They start partying, they do drugs, they like get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why do you think that is? And what held you back from that?
1: Again, I think it's those are usually the kids that have not been pushed out in the world at a young age, have not been able to take advantage of the opportunities that you can usually have when you are homeschooled. Um, And it's interesting because the recent stats show that homeschoolers, at least in high school, going into college, drink less, do less drugs, are not partiers. Um, and I think we're getting better at that. Also, academically, our scores are off the charts. We're getting into better schools. The Ivy League seek out homeschoolers <laughs> these days. Mm. And so, again, it goes back to the parents. Of if you are making this decision, you are not only taking on your children's academic life, you are taking on their social life. And you have to remember that because just keeping them in their house, that is why. It's because they do not have a social interaction. You know, they do not have a social life outside of the home. And obviously, you know, spending time with mom and dad is great, but you have to be around other people. Um, And so I think that, you know, you see one side of homeschooling and that is kind of the loudest group Mm -hmm. and people oppose it for that group. Um, But I also like the smartest people I know in my life are homeschoolers because they you know, advanced so quickly in their academic careers because they started working at a very young age. They're incredibly self-reliant. Um, and I think those are some of the benefits. But again, it does go back to the parents. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to homeschool, but you are not in a position to take all of that on, it's like then maybe they would be maybe better off in some other school. And if you are concerned about academics, try maybe a public school or a private school.
3: Sure.
1: Um, but I, it's really, like I understand the stigma because of that, uh, but I would also push back on people saying that homeschoolers are inherently weird Cause I definitely was weird. Mm-hmm. I like was a total nerd. I was a theater kid. I had a career and I look at kids that are normal these days and I'm so glad that I'm not one. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very glad that I was not partying. I'm so glad that I did not succumb to the same peer pressure that a lot of my friends who you know grew up in the normal school system did. Sure. I was totally oblivious to all of that. I didn't go through it. Um, I've had people say you didn't get bullied. So how, like, you haven't been knocked around. No, hell yeah, I've been knocked around. Like, I had an entire acting career. Like, we're, I was told no 99% of the time. Like, my brother died. My father, you know, has serious mental health issues. I had enough, like, happened in my life, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that you are completely, you know, exempt from bad things happening or being toughened up. Um, so I guess that those are some of my pushbacks against sure. it. But obviously, there's a reason why that stigma exists. It exists. There obviously are homeschoolers that, you know, have come out that way. Sure.
0: So what happens when you left public school? Yes. Where did you go after that?
1: Um, Went back to L.A., was still splitting my time between um, L.A. and Chattanooga. Started doing film again. I think it was like the next summer I shot a Fox miniseries called Shots Fired. So I was living in North Carolina that summer doing a show. Hmm. Um, That fall, actually, I emancipated myself. So I was emancipated at 15. Why? Uh, myriad of reasons um, I was about to shoot the second season of a show it had been picked up we didn't have a lot of details yet but it was supposed to shoot in in Prague uh-huh. um, and at the time my parents were going through their very very messy divorce my oldest brother uh, this was mostly in my opinion due to the death of his twin who's my brother so I have brothers who are identical twins and Reed who is the surviving twin watched David die and he has you know I don't think ever really recovered for that. I don't know if you can recover from can watching. Can we
0: ask what happened? Is that?
1: Yeah, he had a cardiac arrest. So oh, they were on the rowing machine, wow. and he just had a cardiac arrest. The
0: rowing machine? Mm, was were, that uh, was that like an underlying heart condition?
4: We had or... no. We like just know. at the gym. Yep,
1: that's cool. Yeah, at
3: and, school.
1: Yeah, and the school didn't have defibrillators, and so they did CPR, but Holy could not revive crap. him. Uh, what we think is that he had something called long QT syndrome but we're not sure the autopsy really didn't bring back much. We didn't want to just spend a lot of time doing tests, but sure. I mean, my whole family, it's crazy. We don't, we still really don't know because Reed who is his identical twin has no signs of it, has never had any signs of it. And they are genetic, like genetically identical. And so truly the only one that has had a sign of it is me. Like sometimes on my EKGs, cause I do them yearly. Like mm. something has popped up that's kind of weird, but nothing sure. that's been alarming. But Reed has had no signs of it. Oh my god. But it's been 16 years since David's death now. And Reed spiraled years after that. So at the time, I mean, he took, he left college and went to India for four years, did hard, hard drugs, and came back totally different. Uh, It was his way of coping. My parents tried to keep him from going, held money over his head. My grandparents gave him money, and he ended up, you know, going. And it was just a whole, you know, obviously, a lot of turbulence, I would say. Um, And he really, really struggled when he came back, and then he had a psychotic break. So my brother is now, at this point when I'm 15, he is diagnosed schizophrenic yikes yeah
0: I can't imagine that with a twin because I hear a lot of the times that there is that connection between them uh and I I believe that I think
1: and it's like a part
0: of yourself is is dying yeah. at the same time.
1: And so, you know, when you're growing up and there is, I don't know the psychological term for it, but therapists talk about it a lot where you are, you know, moving into adulthood. It usually happens around college age for us people in the modern age now, but where you break away from your parents, you start to see them as individuals rather than as parents. You, differ, you differentiate yourself from your family. As you're creating your own family, you're creating new relationships, you're not living at home. Twins have to go through that on another level with each other because they spend their entire lives like Reed and David did everything together were in Mm -hmm. the same exact class lived in the same room they went to boarding school lived in the same room together had the same group of friends looked exactly the same throughout their entire life David would wear red Reed would wear blue so my mom dressed them as a baby they kept it up in high school but it's like they were connected looked literally Mm -hmm. identical friends couldn't tell them apart they had not at 17 years old had not gone through that break And so it was like literally this person instantaneously was ripped away from my brother. And he was at an all-boys school. And so at 17 years old, had no outlet. He has often said to me, he was like, Brad, I cried once and I was fine. I was fine. I promise. Like, it didn't impact me. And it's like, you're bullshitting us. Like, I know you did and you don't need to do this for your friends. Um, And so I think because he never actually processed it, it just, you know, festered and festered and festered. And then he did a lot of drugs that literally changed his brain chemistry. Like, he would do things in India where he would wake up two weeks later in a totally different part of the country. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, he's done probably everything on the books. Yeah. Um, Came back, was continuing to abuse drugs, got him in front of doctors, and then refused to take medication for any, and you know, I have my own thoughts about, you know, antipsychotics and antidepressants and that sort of thing. Mm. And I really believe that there are a lot of lifestyle and diet changes that people can make to help mitigate that. Um, And he did not want to do any of that. He said, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. And it's like, you're literally having psychotic breaks in front of us. Um and so he was at the time on the street and he refused medication and schizophrenics can often be violent. So my mom said, You cannot live with us, you cannot live with your younger sister. Um unless you were on these meds, you need to figure something else out. So he was like, Well, I can get drugs on the street. So for two years he was homeless. And so I had this TV show that I was possibly going to Prague for. My parents were getting divorced. I got pulled into the divorce. At fifteen years old I should have been able to say, like, I want, you know, I don't want to have to split custody, whatever um and at the time i was like i have a career i'm living in los angeles my brother is a mess i cannot be dealing with like my parents stuff in chattanooga right now i just i should not be involved in it i kind of felt like i started being used as a pawn in it so i got a lawyer um it was not content you got a lawyer at 15.
2: Mm -hmm. how did you do do that was it a publicly
0: like they gave it to you? Uh-uh, no,
1: I went and I found one in Chattanooga. So I did it in Tennessee. Um, I bet you
0: just walked in with your resume. And yeah, it was like, like <laughs> hey, here <laughs> um, I am. I was am. still
1: in L.A. at the time, but because I was a resident of Tennessee, my you know learner's sure. permit was in like Tennessee. How do you
0: pay for that? I imagine a lot of lawyers at that point would just do it pro bono.
1: Um, maybe in Los Angeles, yeah. it's very, very difficult to do because a lot of families will try to do that because it's easier to be an actor if you are not a minor because they don't have to pay the additional fee to right. have a tutor, you can work longer hours, that kind of thing. So a lot of, you know, parents and families and stage moms and that kind of thing will try to screw with the system and like get their kid emancipated mm. to do it. I didn't want to deal with that and I was still a resident in Tennessee. So we had a couple of family friends. My mom actually helped me because I went to her and I said, I cannot be a part of this. Like, you know, your intention, you know, your attention is split between, you know, Reed and, you know, being at home in Chattanooga. And she was going to move Reed back to Chattanooga. And she was like, you're going to have to come. And I was like, I don't want to. I'm, you know, I'm a professional. I literally have a career. Please just, like, let me try to do this. And so she was like, okay. Um, So once again, me, like, dragging my mom along for this journey. Mm -hmm. but had I don't even remember he was the father of a family friend of ours and who's a family lawyer and so it was a relatively uh, like not a difficult process but yeah I brought my resume showed the money that I was making and I he said you know it's not consistent enough because acting's you know ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. so that was at the time when I got a job at Trader Joe's so I was 15 got a job at Trader Joe's worked there until 2021 I kept that job throughout all seriously yeah all throughout college how much
0: were you making at 15
1: um, seventeen dollars an hour
0: That's really good. That's fantastic. What Trader did that? Joe's was pay, that? Base? Pays
1: awesome money, yeah, and you get full health care and all that. so I got my health care through them. um but How do they
2: hire you at fifteen though?
1: because in California, you could start working at fifteen so I could get my own insurance because I was emancipated, so I started working there and I kept auditioning and then I lived in l a um for a summer while my parents were finalizing their divorce just in an apartment in our apartment by myself
3: okay. what did your um,
1: parents
0: say about you getting emancipated did, did they have any thoughts on that did um, they try to stop you from doing that or were they like well you know you could make your own decisions
1: my dad was more concerned with it my mom was on board because she did not want me to be involved in the divorce sure. um you know i won't get into details but it was my dad who was i don't i'm not very close with him it's kind of all water under the bridge now but it's been a very very difficult relationship at the time he was the one that was pulling me into it and i think it was kind of a power move and so i went to him and i said this is unacceptable um and i said i'm doing this because of the things that you are doing and the impact that you're having on our family and i was like i'm not going to blame my brother reed right now but i was like i just i cannot i physically cannot be a part of this um so if it's not contentious your parents can both sign and if the judge agrees that it's okay sure it's okay um so that's ended up being what happened uh so my parents both agreed on paper and then it had to go to a judge um and then i was emancipated so i was able to you know live in los angeles i worked at trader joe's i kept auditioning i kept doing you know projects i did a couple of movies i did a few other you know tv shows started going to community college because mm-hmm. um, it worked better with my schedule so i went to santa monica community college yeah. State good college. school by the way yeah it's yeah. a great school it's like has the best transfer rate of any community right. college in the country um my
0: parents wanted me to go to smc it saves yeah. you money yeah it was
1: great yeah. i went
0: to community college really i loved it yeah Ventura college
2: See, yeah then awesome. ucsb yeah. College. Yeah.
1: um i say i would not change it for the world i feel like i got a better education at smc mm-hmm. than ucla like a hundred percent
2: honestly i would probably agree with that yeah with my community college experience because well. the, the classroom sizes are a lot smaller. Yeah. It's more intimate. And also, also a lot of the professors at community yeah. colleges want to be there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's more desirable to be a professor at a community yes. college. A lot of the times in like mm-hmm. the really nice institutions. And really?
1: at UCLA, you have to be doing research. It's a research university. And so most yeah, of that's are another there. the
2: continuing education or whatever yes. it is. yeah And yeah. so
1: UCLA is known for its research. And so a lot of the professors there, you know, are, you know, writing their own books in the English literature department, you know, working on their theses, that sort of thing at a community college. They are there for the students. Hmm. And, you know, again, I feel like the through line with my life is i was around a ton of different people and so there would be people like me who were younger there were people who were coming back you know 30 years later working on their education yeah. i met the most interesting people and in california where it's very normal that people go to community college it, there was not really a stigma but mm-hmm. i mean truly my education was better there
2: the so cost much size, and yeah. guess what it was seven dollars yes <laughs> seven dollars $7 $7 yep. for a semester yeah yeah how there was a California bill. What's the point is mm-hmm. you the know what I'm talking about. $7, I used though. it, but it's only for the first semester. Yep. The next semester, I think, was like a hundred or yeah. something like. Why that? Do but they do but if you are an
1: in-state, yeah, if you are like an in-state zero. student, um, I think it's
2: also your district has like a yeah. community college. Something you have to go to the according to, uh, community college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then if $7. you get
1: academic scholarships on top of that, because community colleges make money by you know having the students there and they want their you know stats to be higher so right. if you're a really really good student and you're coming here they make it really desirable for you mm-hmm. wow. so i saved so much money and it's totally flexible because you don't have to be a full-time student you like don't have all the premiums like yeah that. exactly yeah. so i would do night classes or you know 8 a.m's and then go you know audition in the middle of the day and then go work up you know a 5 to 10 p.m shift to trader joe's mm-hmm. and that was my life
0: so you went from that and then you transferred to ucla yeah
1: okay so two years in I was a English major with a minor in biological anthropology at first and then dropped that because at UCLA if you are not already getting a BS you have to do like chemistry and physics for all of those things so sure. I was like, no, I'm not interested in that <laughs> but I love anthropology and I if I was more scientifically inclined I would have probably tried to do some kind of double major but I did not want to do chemistry did not want to do okay. physics I just love bio And I love anthropology. Uh, Anthropology made more sense to me than any, like, psychology or sociology class I've ever done Mm. in, like, understanding basic human instincts and what we're, like, wired to do. It's, like, the perfect, I guess, explanation for how even, like, men and women are totally different. Like, we are literally wired different ways. Mm. Um, But anyway, and so I did that for a bit, dropped that minor, and then was a film minor until the end. But I don't even think... I finished up my film minor because I realized that I'd gotten to the end of my major and it was in the middle of COVID. I was like, I don't want to be on zoom anymore. I'm just going to dip. Um, But that was, I probably did not finish that minor because I went to the UC Berkeley's Haas school of business. And they had a program where if you were an undergrad, you could go to their grad school and do a business program. Hmm. So I did that during COVID. And then as COVID was wrapping up, I was at least in California. um, I didn't really think I wanted to go back to acting. Um, I didn't love the lack of control that I had as an adult. Um, growing up as a kid, it just was like this crazy adventure, and it felt like this hobby that I happened to get paid for. I wasn't thinking about the money. I didn't see any of the money. It all went into a savings account. And then, legally, um, with uh, being a child actor, there's a thing called a Coogan account. And so, yep. a percentage of your money goes there. Mm-hmm. So, and my parents did not use any of the money, it just went into a savings account. So, I used like part of that to buy my first car and for, you know, some of my UCLA tuition. Um, but I was ever motivated by money because I wasn't getting, like, a, a slew of American Girl dolls or anything like that. Yeah, it was yeah, just sure. It was so fun for me.
0: How much was in that Coogan account, by the way? Oh, gosh. Do you remember? Um, Is that a cruise? Now, can you invest within the account? I don't think you can I, invest within it. I, I don't even remember. It's just cash?
1: Okay. a... Like tens of thousands Not nothing like it's, crazy But that's is the account
2: It's like a certain percentage
3: though of the Yeah thing. It's so like it's 15, only 15, or so percent I think, yeah, I think it's 15 yeah. yeah. percent so I don't remember Minimum. what it ended up yeah. being
1: And it doesn't accrue a ton of interest It kind of just sits But it's your yeah. legal protection In case you are right. in an environment Where your parents are taking your money They want to make sure That when you turn 18 You have something And I think it's, it's a great protection So I don't remember what it You know how exactly much it was But I know I did my down payment For my first like Kia Nero And like bought it mm-hmm. with that money And then paid some of my UCLA tuition with it um, but yeah, so I graduated and once it became, once the money part became a little more close to home for me, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm about to turn 18. This is like, this is a career career. And I started thinking about like, whenever I get married and have kids, cause that's always like the thing that I've wanted most is to be a mom.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my mom is just an incredible example of, I think what a mother can be. And she just dedicated her life to being a really, really engaged parent. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to like build humans. I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't really want to be a parent and be in this unstable of an environment. And I really admire people that are okay with doing that. But I also didn't like that at the drop of a hat, I could be told to fly to North Carolina. And it would be something like, okay, you have this audition at 4 p.m. today. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow you could be on a flight to Toronto and shooting this thing. You literally have no control. You have Mm -hmm. to say no to everything in your life. Um, That was really hard for me as somebody that really values control and having autonomy over my life. I didn't love the fact that sometimes you might crush an audition and they'll be like well you don't really look enough like the person who's playing your father you're too skinny you're too fat we've rewritten the role and you don't fit anymore so we're firing you on set or like here you've you know you filmed the entire project we don't think your role really reads anymore we're cutting it and that, so mm. it's just like constant And it's very very normal and it comes with it so it was never something i really wanted to like try to change or combat but it was like These are all things that bother me and even though I love storytelling I think I can do this in another way so I went into production so I did multiple like producing um, internships at the end I was working for Big Beach Productions they produce Little Miss Sunshine incredible I mean one of the best internships I ever did I learned so much Um, but during COVID we obviously went virtual i hated that and then during blm and covid the entire industry just became so political hmm. and my job became less about find good stories and more about could you find a native american story for us could you find a black story for us like rather than just reading scripts for the value in them it was like we need something that is like politically woke we need to be on the cusp of this and i understood it because hmm. that is what was making money at the time yep. that's what people wanted there was a lot of pressure but i was like okay now i don't like this like that doesn't feel authentic to me so I did what every liberal arts confused graduate does, and I studied for the LSAT, and I applied to law school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did that also during COVID, and I took the it's LSAT. It's crazy you
0: just decide on a whim, be like, no, I'm just going to take the LSAT now. Yeah,
1: and so I was still working, still doing all of that, and I went back and I got my old ACT tutor, who also does LSAT stuff, and I called him. I was like, so, buddy, you want to work with me again? Wow. Um, and so I studied for that for about nine months, and then took that. Applied for all the California schools. I was aiming for Pepperdine um, because I thought value-wise I would be better it's there.
0: funny. That was the only college I applied to is Pepperdine. Really? Yep. And I said no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't
1: apply there a... It was so...
0: And- De- I was devastated Really actually. Yeah I've told this were story you Were you actually sad Yeah What, so, were, you, what were you applying so for So I Well I wanna They I think had a really Good business program So mm-hmm. I was like I'm gonna go there for business But I had terrible grades In high school Like really really mm-hmm. really bad A horrible SAT score I thought I would wow them mm-hmm. And just like write A great application Do a cool story Because I was really into Like reef aquariums And I was working All through high school And I thought like My resume Sounded
1: like a homeschool kid Yeah exactly
0: <laughs> But I was like I was I was promoted uh, In high school As the assistant manager not the assistant mm. to, to the, manager, the manager but the assistant nice. manager of this whole like grief aquarium place and i mm. loved it i'd work there so i thought okay. like i was gonna wow them and i applied mm-hmm. and that day okay. that they were sending out the uh, acceptance letters I yeah. went to disneyland and i was at the blue bayou in disneyland pulling up the email from yeah. the first gen iphone okay okay and i wait i got the email in the morning but i waited to open it at the blue bayou because i thought to myself if i get in We'll celebrate. Yeah, and if I didn't get in, we're at Disneyland. It's great, <laughs> and I didn't get in.
1: Oh my God, the yeah. only school you apply to,
0: the only. One. How did it feel? Walk us through your emotions. Uh, at that point, I because I had no backup plan. Well, first of all, yeah. I didn't know how to pay for it. Like okay. no one that, had. It's so fucking so, expensive. Yeah. So I didn't. Oh my yeah. God. So in my mind, it was like forty grand a year. I had no idea. Like no one in my family had money to pay for that. Okay. I think all of them well, were, were like, "Well,
1: you were going to wow them with your reef aquarium, mm-hmm. get a scholarship, maybe get a scholarship, yeah, yeah <laughs> like that. They, maybe yeah. start the biology program yeah. at right. yeah, yes, yes. exactly, That's a
0: great something like that." But uh, yeah, I had no backup plan. Okay. Um, and I thought maybe I could be a drummer. So because I was, <laughs> I was in a band as well in high school And I thought you know maybe I could do this drum thing Like maybe it'll work out Yeah. Uh, but I think like a month or two after I ended up mm-hmm. getting my real estate license That was like my or backup yeah. plan Do that for a year and then I could reapply okay. But that's when I was thinking about going to SMC During that okay. time like maybe I just take a year in SMC Or yeah. I get my real estate license
1: Yeah. it
4: was
0: real estate license Well that is so funny—the
2: dichotomy we between Brett's, you <laughs> yeah. know, growing up and Graham's growing up. He's like terrible. Brett would pivot in any direction, just be like success, 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 yeah. and then Graham's like, well, like I don't want it to be a drummer, <laughs> but who knows? Like,
0: yeah, was I, cool. just, I wanted to make money. Worked out. Yeah, and I, I felt mean, like very, yeah. I remember because we used to play shows. I think you made like,
1: the right decision because Pepperdine would have lost money.
0: Oh yeah, Pepperdine that's would have been point. terrible. Yeah. yeah, drumming would have been interesting though because there are now ways to uh, make money as a drummer. He is yeah. a good, good drummer. Money. He's cool. a very good drummer. i terrible. Yeah. But I would play shows on the Sunset Strip, you know, like okay. the Roxy yeah. and uh, all those places. you play at the Roxy many That's times. You played times. at the Roxy When did you play at the times. Roxy? We did the, we did the Viper Room. Do you did, ever play? Did did you play, play all at all the Troubadour? Them. Yes, actually, <sighs> we've done all <sighs> the of them. Troubadour. We would do every Wait, single how thing. Did, how did you get the? Because we were good, and then they would Are make you sell you tickets. Like yeah, I can't believe that. I love
2: the Roxy. That's an incredible. Yeah, I've been there a few times. It's an incredible venue. It's like iconic. But we
0: would have to sell tickets. You need to bring it back. So this was. Bring back the band. I would be down. I'd be Can I join? What would you do? The triangle? I'll do anything. The cowbell? I I could. Well, I'd be be a backup singer. Yeah,
2: I'd be a manager. Yeah, Yeah. I could be the. I could be the guy that like brings the coffees to everybody. But now
0: here's the thing. So we would usually play like we wouldn't be like a headline on a Friday or Saturday night. So usually we would be like a weekday night, Mm -hmm. eight p.m., and we would have to sell like seventy tickets between the three of us. Mm -hmm. So we each had like (laughs) twenty-five tickets to sell, and we go around school be like they were like fourteen-dollar tickets, and just like trying to get people. To buy tickets and then uh the our bass player's mom would sometimes just say i'll buy the tickets just hand them out no yeah. way yeah so she would sometimes you know pick up the slack and we'd just be handing them out it's all about sport. the hustle that is yeah. so cool
2: that is so cool yeah. graham
0: we, i did not know yeah. you played <laughs> at the rocks. you know it's interesting too we played a battle of the bands for southern california <laughs> that was sponsored by coca-cola we came in seven uh sorry second place second and like whole... technically it was a high school competition but that's still we lost really impressive. we lost to freshman college students because their bass player was scammed. still yeah you got scammed in high school but they were like three years older than us and that's were really insane. talented you but should make a video about that but, man
2: yeah exposing the bring
0: scam. it back yeah. Yeah. yeah but if we won we got i think it was like seven songs recorded for free plus a trip to i think it was scotland or ireland i forget what was there. Was one of those, okay, but we came in second place to them. I'm so upset. But we went through like we competed and yeah. then like they ranked us and we go to the next one and we'd like play again. So I think it was like four of them and we lost That's Yeah. That is cool.
1: I love that. I'm kind I of a no excited. I have right no excited childhood
3: yeah.
0: thing like that. That is yeah. dope. I'll find the link, yeah. Please cool. yeah. do, yeah, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. But anyway, well, we
1: could have been Pepperdine alums, <sighs> we could have been SMC alums. Yeah, you ruined all the opportunities. Yeah.
0: Could have seen us. me at the Roxy, I know. Uh, but uh, but my point with being a drummer was that yes. I remember seeing such talented musicians mm-hmm. and they were broke. Yeah. And I remember seeing these drummers like on stage and thinking they are incredible, like way better than I was. And yep. they had been playing their entire lives and they were broke. Yeah. And I'm like, if that guy can't make it, why could I? Like what would make me different from that? Yep. And then I thought, too, if like the band broke up and I was like on my own. Yeah. Session musicians, like a dime a dozen is yep. very difficult. Mm. It's a powerful yeah. realization. Though. Yeah. Like to have that at 18. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, I It's, hard. Yeah. it's so, like, hard
1: to walk away from something that you're like, especially when it's something that's artistic, that you've literally like poured your heart and soul in. I mean, that's how I felt with acting, where yeah. it's like you come to this realization that, like logically on paper, especially if you're somebody that is very, like, I consider myself a pretty, like, rational person. And I'm like, I have to do what's practical. Mm-hmm. It was like, this doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so I think for some people, It not making sense is what's so exciting about it, and I'm like going to do it regardless. I was never going to be one of those people. Graduated at 19. I was going to go to Pepperdine. I applied to Pepperdine, Loyola, UCLA, and then one other. Oh, Chapman in California. Mm -hmm. And then my mom decided she was still living in California at the time. My parents had totally split. My dad's still in Chattanooga. Uh, My brother was doing relatively better at that point. He was, you know, med compliant. He was living in, you know, a, I don't know what you would call the living facility, but was like a like a residency half independent did sort of kind
0: of living sort of, of but sort? for like psychiatric sure. things so we had okay. like a
1: nurse there and a psychiatrist on site but he was That's able nice. to live like semi-independently he was doing better um but still he was so close to like all the drugs that were on the street and it was really hard for him and my mom just did not want to be in california anymore And she had always had this dream of having a farm and we'd always lived in rural areas like chattanooga we lived on a lot of land i was actually born on an island in washington state where we had a farm um so had a lot of space there, but she had always wanted to have like animals and huge gardens and run a homestead. And so as I was getting older, she was like, All right, last one has totally flown the coop. The other one seems stable. My oldest brother has been great for years. He's totally fine. Um been out of the house, but he's fourteen years older than me. So mm. uh he was long independent. So she started looking at Idaho because I was gonna stay in California and go to law school. My oldest brother was thinking about um moving up to Seattle to take a job leave Florida go up to Seattle so he was looking at jobs she was like this is great I'll be like directly in between you guys we'll be on the same coast read my middle brother could either go with her or could stay in his living situation um and then I said I just I can't do California anymore and I was like I don't even really want to stay here I don't really know why I'm staying here other than for acting I just can't do it and so I moved to Boise with her Hmm. and lived there for nine months helped her get her farm started got a house there started settling in. I got a job as a marketing strategist at Young Americans for Liberty, which is Ron Paul's uh, former organization. Um, so very libertarian. I was writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, which is the longest running free market think tank. So I was doing like economic journalism for them um, and was like fully leaning into this because I had already during COVID, I started working with Prager um, I just kind of struggled with friendships due to political reasons at UCLA during COVID. It just got mm-hmm. so polarized and I just a how lot did that, of that how did of... that
0: begin though? Did you start bringing up maybe certain viewpoints yes. and getting well, So when did you certain... recognize your
2: po- political leaning?
1: Um gosh, I'd probably say the beginning of college, but I didn't really even think that it was that important. I just kind of realized as I would look at news stories and, you know, talk to people, it's like, "Oh, okay, I think that this is my opinion." I guess that this is political in nature. It was just, you know, values I'd been raised with or things that I just intrinsically thought. And I started kind of connecting the dots with politics and being like, oh, okay, so if I believe this, then that means this. Um, Slowly started formulating all of that. But I was not raised in a political household by any mean. Um, My mom is a student of objectivism. She adopted Ayn Rand's cat after she died. She spent years- Yes. So, I mean, she, you know, was in textbook publishing, was, you know, always more- you know freedom leaning. I would say um my older brother's very libertarian mm-hmm. um and so but we were not raised in a political household like my mom would listen to Rush Limbaugh in the car when my oldest brother was young but like I never heard any of that I never listened she never listened to Ben at most maybe she would pull up a Dennis Prager you know radio show like once every year maybe or something like that mm-hmm. we never discussed politics ever I had no idea what my dad believed other than he loved the environment. I mean, truly had no idea. And I honestly think that that's, I'm so grateful that that is how I was raised because it was all based on values. It was like how you treat people, how you see the world, like you intrinsically value freedom, you value individualism, you in, you you know you value independence, people not telling you what to do, the government not being involved in your life. But it wasn't even the government. It was just kind of, you know, free thinking, independent sure. Those are the values I was raised with. So as I started being confronted with politics, it was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I'm seeing the connections. But was not right. we literally never talked politics whatsoever. Mm. Um, and I didn't even know that Ayn Rand was a, how did, I, I to, yeah. <laughs> okay, how did
3: she so get her cat? I had to. Yeah. How did she get her cat?
1: She left in the middle of the night after graduating college. My grandmother wanted her to go to secretarial school. My mom said, absolutely not. So she left with her best friend from college. They drove to New York City in the middle of the night. And she was like, I'm going to get a job as a textbook publisher. And her friend had some connections, I think, through college. They're still good friends. I literally saw them a couple of months ago. Um, he's a wealth manager now like a free market wealth manager so he's helped me with some stuff um but he had some connections i believe it was through their college they went to davidson college um with people in ayn rand's circle and her two proteges who now run her like two biggest Mm -hmm. organizations after her death you know published her books with her like that sort of thing got in contact so they started going to these like philosophical salons and getting literally trained in philosophical lessons from these proteges and ayn rand died soon after my mom moved to new york Her cat, Tommy, named after Thomas Aquinas because Thomas Aquinas was the only person to argue the existence of God from a place of reason. And even though Ayn Rand was, like, totally atheist, she respected people who were arguing the existence of God from a place of reason Mm because reason was paramount to her. Reason, you know, healthy selfishness and productivity, you know, the biggest things for objectivists, really, in my, like, boiled-down sense, I guess. Um, And so Tommy needed a home, and so they were like, Diane, can you take Ayn Rand's cat? So she had Ayn Rand's cat. She lived in a tiny... Room that didn't even have a kitchen or anything like that. She worked night shifts at a hotel doing like the the call person, Um, worked like three jobs, and finally got in the door with W.W. Norton and she published the first objectivist, like libertarian textbook and it's still published today hmm. um, so she did that and then lived in Chicago for a bit doing it but anyway <laughs> Jack and <laughs> Grandpa, I like, because we're, we're saying at too the many
0: same like we're saying too many things I <laughs> know today
2: we have been on the exact same wavelength we just go hmm at the exact
0: same <laughs> but time. not only that but other words we've yeah. said yeah the, the same phrase, thing phrase at the
2: exact it's same horrible. time the same
0: phrase
1: you guys I don't, don't know, know. I think we're we up spend a lot of time together I like the same time you guys went like this I know
3: yeah bothering me too much it's Okay. it's gonna be okay
1: but anyway so that is how I was raised are the values i was raised but i appreciated that it was not political because yeah. i you know i've had people say like your you know your mother indoctrinated you and i was like well what would you say would be indoctrination like i was not you know being told about political policies or anything like that she just raised me as any good parent would with the values that she believed were important mm-hmm. to create a you know a healthy independent young person
3: uh-huh.
1: and those happened to be these more you know i would say objectivist libertarian freedom leaning whatever Anyway, so that is how I, I guess, started seeing that. And obviously, with COVID, it became very, very politicized. But even before that, at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, midterms, It became a huge topic for people Mm -hmm. and I had already noticed some tension because people knew that I was originally from Tennessee and that was something that I didn't think was contentious but apparently it was and so being from Tennessee yeah and it was like you're from the south you're backwards you're racist and I remember my friends being super drunk at a party and I walked in and one of them said there's our racist friend Brett from Tennessee and we hadn't even talked about politics yet Um, how does that make you feel it was just it was stupid to me, but I sure. still thought that they were good friends. And I remember coming home, you know, calling my mom or calling my brother, and being like, "Oh yeah, they said this. It's so funny." And my brother would be like, "That's not friendship. Right. Like, what? Those are just random attacks. Like, why are you allowing that to happen?" I was like, "Oh, everybody, you know, you know, shoots the shit. It's fine." Um, and they would insinuate other things. Like, we'd be talking about our families. I would say, "Oh yeah, well, my, you know, my dad's side of the family is all for North Carolina. Old like." dirt poor farmers and they you know fought in the revolutionary war um so i technically i guess could be part of like daughters of the american revolution i think my like great grandfather like fifth great grandfather fought in the revolutionary war but like dirt poor tobacco farmers and we were talking about our lineages because most of my friends were in this friend group you know one was turkish one was indian we're just talking about ancestry and when i said like farmers in north carolina they were like oh so your family owned slaves and I was like, mm-hmm. how did we get there? And I was like, "I, it just, and so I blew it off, but I think that's kind of how it started, and I fought back against that. I was like, we were literally, I, we didn't, like I would know. And even if it, you know, even if my family did, how does that impact, you know, the person that I am now and the friend that's sitting in front of you? Um, and so that's kind of where it started. That was even before all of, you know, the midterm started and all of that. And then midterms, I believe it was, no, 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 it wasn't midterms, it was primaries, primaries um, for the presidential election. Mm. Um, And so then, obviously, there were a lot of conversations about, like, Bernie and Joe Biden and that sort of thing. And I knew enough at that point, and I was, like, clued in enough to know I don't really think that I would vote for either of those. I wasn't, like, rah-rah Trump. I never really have been. Um, But I did not hate him. I didn't understand the vitriol about him. Um, And so – people started bringing it up to me and saying, so, like, who are you going to vote for? And I was like, I don't, really don't know. Like, maybe I'll vote for, you know, Joe Jorgensen. She's like the libertarian. I don't, I don't really know. I said, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't love Joe Biden. I don't love Bernie Sanders. And I mean, they lost their shit. Um, and it just became like a, a huge argument and debate constantly. I remember, you know, all of us you know, voting in the primaries and me not voting for either Joe Biden or Bernie and them being very, very angry. One of my friends, voted for joe instead of bernie her father was a policeman and she thought that bernie was just like a little too much Mm. and she got slandered because she wasn't far left enough Mm. and that was my my big and my sorority and i remember thinking like why is this such an issue like this is crazy and then COVID happened um and i remember friends you know making me ride in a car by myself like six months in because it's like well you know you're on the right so obviously you don't care about COVID, so you can't you know hang out with us because you're probably like not taking things seriously i was like well no it's still a I wasn't even thinking that it was political at the time, even though I didn't think that lockdowns economically were going to do anything good for this country. I thought that it was 100 percent government overreach. Um, BLM started taking off and I stayed out of that for most of it until it just kept continuing on and seeing the way that businesses were then, you know. Taking steps for racial action, all this stuff. And I was like, I think that a lot of this is, you know, blown out of proportion. And why is the media lying about what's actually happening? Like, I'm living in LA. I'm seeing these protests. Mm -hmm. It's totally different than how they're painting it. Um, But the kicker for me was, and this is why I left LA, there was a business in Burbank that got taken away from the owners because they stayed open during the second lockdown of covid hmm. and they didn't even stay open completely they left their patio open and it wasn't any kind of like political fu or anything like that they left it open people could sit on the patio and enjoy their takeout food whatever got reported to the city council it went on for nine months um their electricity was turned off the you know the business was boarded up was chained up multiple times and then it became personal for the owner um and he's 22 and he inherited it from his father he became a really good friend of mine his name is lucas LePagian. And then, it became, you know, yeah, the whole community rallying behind him. He would break through the doors every time. He would open it wow. back up. Community donated generators. Um, they kept shutting down electricity, so he just had grills, and his staff kept coming back to cook. And then, you know, policemen on their days off would come and, like, protect it and that sort of thing. Like, it was, it was wild. Um, got tons of donations. He was arrested, I think, four times. Multiple, multiple, you know, city council meetings about it. And the kicker for me was... There was one last city council meeting with public comment, and I think public comment went on for like four hours. And, you know, I called in, everybody was calling in, and this was going to be the determining factor of whether they could keep the business open. And what it looks like was going to happen was that they would have to shut down for two weeks, you know, pay their due diligence, pay the fines that they had accrued, and then open back up. Because at this point, every other business in L.A. was open. Like, you could go inside and eat. Except for this one. Except for this one. And by the end of the city council meeting, everything seemed fine. They were like, all right, we'll get back to you tomorrow. In the middle of that, while public comment was going on, the city of Burbank sent out a construction crew and they built a wall around the business a 10 foot barbed wire with like the, what, what do you call that? I guess that is the barbed wire. So it was chain yeah, like barbed sure. wire on top, 10 feet. So they literally could not get into the business. All their, you know, they were paid up on their taxes, they were paid up on everything. They owned this building. I think they had owned it for two generations. It was a two generation business from burbank had was like a staple in the community mm-hmm. and they totally i mean literally just took it from the owners in the middle of the public comment and i was like so i'm living in a place where the government can literally come in and take your home take your business because they disagree with something that you've done and not listen to the community members that are literally on the phone for hours calling in." And sure, saying, right. well, no, absurd.
0: did they take the business though or is it more they're just Deterring people from going inside. That because it sounds like the fence them, yes, is more just like, you know, basically what it is. Yeah. Um, and
1: saying that you, you know, the business owner cannot operating, operate operating. Right. Saying right. you you know, you must shut down Was basically what it was. Mm. Um, I think the building has been demolished now. Um, I'm thinking oh, he so just sold
0: it. Well I'm guessing he sold it. What was
2: the verdict of the, the hearing?
1: That they it was just gonna be shut down. But they made that decision before so they said, Oh, we'll come back tomorrow and so Lucas woke up the next morning in the house and the the restaurant was totally surrounded. So it was
2: so they basically just wanted to punish him for his past yeah, yeah it
1: exactly like. yeah um and the guy who did that who led that was a burbank city councilman who ran um in the dsa party so he was a democratic socialist of america ran on that party mm-hmm. was elected as such um and that was a kicker for me and then during in the middle of 2020 lapd also slashed a huge part of their major crimes unit which included the sexual assault unit Uh, which included um, the gang unit. And as a woman, that really freaked me out because I already knew that I couldn't defend myself with a gun. I'm trained with guns. I've shot my entire life. Um, And, you know, I spent a lot of time in the city by myself. I started doing self-defense training when I was 11 years old because my mom was concerned about me going into audition rooms with, you know, adults by myself because obviously the casting couch is a real thing. We know about the Me Too movement. She was like, I never want you to feel insecure about that. So Mm -hmm. I did that for seven years Every single week, you know, helped teach self-defense. So I was a very, very yeah. competent person. Still am. Um, and part of that was because, you know, as an adult, she knew, like, you're not going to be able to carry a gun in this city. You're not going to be able to protect yourself. But... They took away that extra level of protection. The LAPD response time dropped like crazy. Um, Gang presence in Burbank started skyrocketing again in the span of like two months. There were three shootings and two stabbings in my like one mile vicinity alone, which had never happened before. Um, And I just felt totally unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was leaving for Boise and I was like, I don't really know if I want to be here alone. I don't like this. I don't like the values that are around me. Why would I stay in a place that, you know, does not value my security or safety and where the government is so willing to punish you for having a differing opinion. Um, I was like, I don't think that this is where I really want to start my adult life. I can do it somewhere else. And so I was like, I'll figure it out. I'll go to Boise. I loved it. I loved her farm. I loved the remote work that I was doing. I got into Boise's law school, so I was going to do a dual MBA and JD program. which was four years. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. I thought I would probably go do constitutional law, specialize in 2A, which was what I was really interested in. Um, And then I actually met over the summer with a bunch of constitutional lawyers and they said, don't do it. Hmm. They're like, you're going to make no money. It's a waste of money because unless you're going to one of the top, top schools and you're going into corporate law, you will make no money. You're going to waste five years, four years uh, because I was doing two programs. Um, And they said, you know, you're already working in politics. You're doing adjacent. Basically, you are, you know making videos for prager U. you have this marketing strategist job um, at another organization you're writing you're doing journalism you have the connections now you don't need to go to law school to make those connections you can do advocacy and the exact words he said was you can do everything we can do except sign the brief why would you go to school for four mm. years just to do that and go into debt because i got somewhat of a scholarship for it but i was still gonna have to pay a lot of money for it um, and if you look at the discrepancy between the amount of legal jobs that are available and the amount of law schools it's just insane. I mean, we are pumping out so many JD students and there are not enough positions. Mm. I think the base salary for a law student that did not go to like one of the top five is like in the 65, 75 range. That's yeah, not that much. No. Plus
0: law is, I believe, the unhappiest career. Yeah. And I'm such yeah. a creative
1: person. The people in my life are like, oh, this doesn't make sense. But I was like, I'm smart. Like I yeah. am academic. I can make a difference. I want to fight for this. I was really politically engaged at the time. And then the day that orientation started, I was like, I can't, you're all right. I can't do it. Yeah. So I withdrew. I had no plan. I was doing that journal, writing at fee. I was being a marketing strategist and I was a waiter at a restaurant in Boise. So I was doing all three of those. I left Trader Joe's and I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. And my mom was like, you just blew up everything. Basically, you need to figure it out. And I was like, I'll I'll come up with a plan. So I was in the process of coming up with a plan. I was still making videos for PragerU, for Young Americans for Liberty. I was running all their social media accounts when I got a DM from Daily Wire. And they said, we've seen your short-form videos. We love your content. Would you be interested in having a meeting with us? And I thought it was a joke. And I was like, this can't be real. So I responded, and I was like, okay. And I've respected the Daily Wire for a really long time. I'd actually looked and applied for jobs with them. I applied to be Candace Owens' assistant like a year prior. Wow. And her manager rejected me before I didn't even do an interview, which she knows now and she thinks is so funny. What Um, was the
0: reason for the uh, rejection?
1: I didn't live in Nashville.
0: Oh, yeah. She okay. just didn't even
1: respond because they were only looking at people that were in Nashville. Makes sense. Yeah. OK. But I was like, I'll move. my I was like, I'll move. I'll move. Um, and it's funny because her manager and I, her ex-manager and I are now like friends and I like was <laughs> messaging her that the worked other out day. for a reason. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, I applied for like an associate producer role on Ben's show in Florida. Like I was like, I just I want to be involved in this company somehow because I loved what they were doing in the entertainment sector. And I was like, I could get back into storytelling where I, my values are more in line with what they're doing. And that could kind of give me the balance that I'm looking for. And I could be on the production side, so I would have more control and a little more stability, which is also what I was needing. Um, and so I had wanted that, but I also, in the back of my head, thought, you know, this organization, it's skewed older. All the hosts are older. You know, it's a bit more established. I don't know if they're going to want to be hiring. I was 19 at the time, a 19-year-old kid mm-hmm. to do any of this. And I was like, you know what? I will continue working at Young Americans for Liberty, which is a student organization. PragerU really focuses on students. And I was like, I'll stay here for a few years. I'll apply again later on. Uh, and maybe I'll, you know, get my foot into the door with Daily Wire. Or maybe I'll go back to acting. I don't know. I'll just, you know, leave it up to whatever happens. So I got this DM. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is insane. Respond back. We start emailing back and forth. I do a Zoom call. Um, really like the people. Um, all of them still work here except one. You guys met the girl earlier who mm-hmm. sent me the DM. Yep. And she was just scrolling on. She ran the TikTok account and found me. And here we are. But um, then they said, you know, you only do short form content. We'd like you to do like. I did reactions and, like, my reactions to news stories and that kind of thing. And they said, could you do, like, longer responses to news stories, and then could you also show us, like, maybe a pop culture thing? And I said, okay. So I did that, and then they hired me. Uh, it was, you know, I think we negotiated for about three months. I, had, I found out that I got the job while I was in the field with my mom in her pasture, like huh. wrangling a donkey or something like that, and I got a call from our CMO. And I was grilled for, like, an hour. On of
0: what? What did that sound
1: like? Um, It was basically like, are you, you know, we're taking a risk on a 19-year-old kid, and we're going to bring you here, and we're going to try to create something with you. We want to make sure that you're not some, like, fluke. And so it was basically like, I've seen your resume. The people below me are advocating for you. I want you to tell me why you deserve to be here. And I was, like, shaking. I was, like, standing up in my mom's bedroom shaking. And it was like, how are you different than other 19-year-olds? Like, this is – and Daily Wire is, like, very, very hustle-oriented. We are constantly, you know – you know we're past startup mode but we are growing so fast every single day like you'll see Jeremy boring speeches about the fact that this is a an objectively a hard place to work because we do so much we pump out so much content every single day and the benefits i think definitely outweigh the fact that it's a lot of hard work so i mm-hmm. think we're doing really good things and are really proud of everything that we do but they wanted to make sure that my ambition and that my you know hustle and what i was willing to take on matched what they were going to be expecting and if they're going to take again take a risk on a 19 year old um ended up working out I guess I did a good job um I remember coming in and meeting that guy and literally being like I'm so like I hope it worked like whatever Mm -hmm. um and then I you know I think that was solidified at the end of November I had 10 days to move I fought with them I was like trying to be able to start in the first of the year but they were like we really want you here now to get started on developing the show
0: now why didn't you decide to go off and do that on your own Because you could have just as easily Mm -hmm. said, okay, you know, I can make YouTube videos, I can Mm -hmm. make TikToks and shorts, I'm doing it already. Mm -hmm. Why uh, have the management of the Daily Wire? The mentorship. Yeah.
1: Um, And I've said this before, the value of being in this building where I am next to Candace Owens, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Michael Knowles, Jeremy Boring, Jordan Peterson, where I get to interact with these people often on a daily basis is immeasurable to me. Like that is truly priceless. Um, and I feel like, you know, they have been very, very gracious with, you know, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago of, you know, as the shown has grown, they have, you know, changed my compensation, like that kind of thing. Like they are very, very proactive with making sure that, you know, the talent is supported and that sort of thing. But I would literally be fine with barely being paid and being, being here because the things that I am learning, not only... About how to navigate this space, but also on an intellectual and an ideological Uh level from these people who all have very, very different opinions. Like if you watch the backstage events that Daily Wire does here, you will see the differing opinions of all of the hosts. And the fact that we all get to be here and work and debate and go back and forth and still respect each other and still, you know, support each other's shows. It's, I mean, truly priceless. Hmm. Um, And I knew that I was not going to get that anywhere else and it felt like this was just an incredible opportunity and in my head I was like if, it, if I hate it I can leave in a year because uh, I wasn't signing on a multi-year anything at the time I was just coming we're gonna okay. try a show and I was like if I hate Nashville I always have a backup plan I had a house in Boise I can come back I can go to law school again I can try to do something else I can go back to acting whatever but I was gonna kick myself if this didn't happen but I almost didn't do it I almost didn't even send in the longer reaction they were asking for because I was so nervous Hmm. And I don't know what it was. I was so insecure. I hadn't acted in a really long time and it isn't acting But it's still like putting yourself on it's camera. a
0: presentation. Yeah, exactly
1: And I hadn't been judged in that way in a really long time I would just been doing my like stupid little like minute-long videos and my I mean It's weird to say it was like growing considering where I am now, but you know I started a new Instagram and I think by that point I had like 7,000 followers, which is still like for I was not really Promoting Decent. it right yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm doing this, and it's fine. Um, And I just, I kept pushing it off. And I was like, I'm just so scared. I'm so, I just don't know if it's right. I don't really want to do it. Like, I loved Boise. And I was like, I'm happy here. I'm happy working on your farm. I'm happy with this house and this life I've created. And my mom literally sat me down and looked me in the eyes, and she was like, I don't care if you take the job or not, but you are going to kick yourself in five, ten years, a year, if you do not send this in, if you don't at least try. And she was like, your entire life, you've taken all of these risks. You have literally been, like, balls to the wall, sending letters to managers, like showing up emancipating or whatever you're doing like going and doing a business program applying for law school like you pointed out like i literally would take any risk and just do it because it sounded interesting to me and if i hated it then hell at least i have a good story about mm-hmm. it um going to public school and she was like i don't know what has changed over the past year and i think that i kind of felt like a, a, a beaten dog in a way Sure. like after covid i lost most of my friends i left la which is all i knew i wasn't acting anymore i think i just lost all my confidence and she was like this is an incredible opportunity for you and it is also an incredible opportunity to just Get back on the horse try something you're literally a waitress right now like you have literally nothing to lose And i was like fine you're right diane's usually right so i sent it in they loved it anyway i came here and then i was here in december and they we developed the show together and it launched uh, a year ago yesterday
0: wow yeah it's crazy you've done all of this in a year yeah i keep thinking you've been doing this for like five years That's yeah. insane, so like two million subscribers one year. I think, how many did you get in the first four months? I think it was like 700,000 subscribers in, yes. a, in a few months. Yes, we,
1: I hit a million in six months, or in five months.
0: What was that like for you? And where did that audience come from? Was that Ben's um, audience navigating over to you because maybe there's a bit of a resemblance? I think or is initially,
1: it like, yes. So okay. we did not do any paid ads for my channel at all. Um, in fact, we did a very, or Daily Wire did a very, very soft marketing campaign. Like there was barely anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, i remember in my pitch with jeremy when we like brought the show in front of him he didn't even know really who i was at the time and the cmo had brought me on and i was like hey i'm the little kid that's here trying to you know get a show approved and he watched the pilot which was so bad and he looked at me and he said i don't understand the show it's not for me but i know it's for somebody else it's not really for our audience but i know it's going to reach somebody else so let's try it and i mean literally through us like a few grand to put together a set took some team members from like our social video t- video team and we're like just try it and see what happens um so i did my own promotion on my like social video channel or my social media channels and i had been doing like some daily wire videos like news hits and that sort of thing so i think i was probably up to like twenty thousand like followers at okay, that point sure. I still didn't have a youtube channel So, there were some people who knew who I was in the Daily Wire circle. And then I did one hit on Ben's show and announced the show. And that was it. I don't think any of the other hosts talked about it. Candace didn't even know that I had a show Mm. or who I was for like six months because nobody told her. Yep. Um, We literally, it was like a trial and error. They did not put any paid or anything. Um, So, I think some of it migrated over. And, you know, Daily Wire would repost me every once in a while. So, I think the initial like bulk, I would say maybe Mm -hmm. under 100,000 came from the Daily Wire audience. But then it's just been
0: Where did the rest come from? Was that just a series of videos that you posted that did well? Yeah. What was the And shorts?
3: Shorts. Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean we that was not something I really knew a lot about, but I was already doing a ton of organic content for Instagram and TikTok. And so that made its way to YouTube. And one thing I think I've done differently is that all of my shorts content was original. Mm -hmm. It wasn't clips from the show, it wasn't anything like that. It was all like this is designed for. Hmm. Yeah. YouTube or before YouTube shorts in the
0: beginning, how did you pick topics to talk about? Is this on you, or would they would they come to you? And it still is on me. Still, so I
1: create the show. I pick the topics. I pull all the comments. If there's anything that I want to write, sometimes it's off the cuff. Um, These days, I'll kind of have like bullet points of points I want to hit. If there's a message that I want to leave people with, sometimes I'll write that out. If it feels a little more touchy, but it still is pretty improvised. Um, And I just research the subject really well, and I try to become an expert on that like one little thing every day. Mm and then share it so I still do all of that Um, but it was basically just living on social media and it still is and so most of my content is social media heavy I will only cover something if it is like trending on social media or if I notice that it's about to so Mm -hmm. that can mean like literally trending on Twitter or if it's a trend on TikTok is like picking up or a thing in society that has you know whether it's a social media trend or just a trend in general in the original sense of the word Um, and so I would find things through there, and then, you know, it's called the comment section. That was kind of the, the get of the show and the angle, mm-hmm. was that I wasn't just, like, talking about a subject, just my opinions, but I was going into the comments and actually trying to get people's actual opinions about it. Yeah. So I'd get people on both sides of the aisle— uh, on both you know sides of whatever issue I was talking about, and read those comments, and it was fun to you know kind of act them out and use my act, you know acting background and make it really really fun. Um, and then I wanted it to be really really punchy because I know my generation, I know that I hate watching long form content because mm-hmm. our attention spans are dead due to TikTok. So it was very very fast paced. So I wanted like memes like we had our first you know editing run it was like we need more it was like more cowbell like more memes no, like really? more fast cuts Grim. I, hate I hate that yeah. yeah but it works I, so, I mean that's like that's what my generation <laughs> needs it's like I need my I'm attention saying. yeah
0: I'm saying we always reject it I, yeah. I watch my own TikToks like sound effects sound effects zoom in that's what I love B-roll over here, sound effects sound effect I'm like, I mean I wish why? I, I, wish I didn't works. love it but it works but for, yeah, yeah for
1: young people it's what we are text
0: on screen yep you gotta have so many
1: things flying so we really, like, worked very hard on creating that, you know, that style, and then I wanted, you know, the comments were kind of a unique thing, and then obviously that I was going to be, you know, more right-leaning was a different thing, because there wasn't really anybody in that space that was doing this kind of, like, laid-back, cultural commentary streamery type stuff that was really on the right that was my age. Yeah. Because it's like, there's a lot of them that are, you know, 35-year-old dudes, but, like, a 19-year-old girl, like, that's not really the, <laughs> the normal yeah, right, thing. right, that's right. Um, But yeah, so it was on social media primarily. And I started off doing more newsy political things. I strayed away from that just because I've gotten far more disinterested in that. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Why did you lose interest?
1: Because I obviously think that politics matter. And I'm interested in politics on like an academic and intellectual level. I think it's interesting. I care about learning about it. But um, But Andrew Breitbart once said, and I think it still holds weight, um, that politics is downstream from culture. And so it starts with culture and the conversations that we're having every single day. and it starts with values and that's how I was raised. That's what I care about. I care about you know looking at trends on social media and saying why why is this something that people care about? Um, and I think that we can talk about you know social media trends and cultural things and movies and TV in Hollywood without a political angle, but just talking about like what is driving these people to believe this way mm-hmm. And in my mind, a lot of that goes back to like my current, Critique with my generation, I would say, is that it's driven by this desperate need for both attention and to victimize themselves. Um, I think that victimization is holding most of my generation back. Um, I think we hold ourselves back a lot of the time. Um, And we know that being a victim these days does give you more attention. And so it's things like that where it's like I'm not directly talking about politics and theory and like this new law, but I'm talking about things that do by default influence politics. Hmm. Um, And I also think that talking about things that are more cultural and are more value based number one they interest me but I think that it's it's easier to connect with people on a human to human level that way it's less polarizing I get that um I can have so much more empathy with people and I think people find me more relatable because of that and when I'm talking to people who are on opposite sides of the political aisle that is where we find the most common ground is by talking about this and then being able to say like oh okay so now I see why you think that the way you do You know, because of this value that you hold or because of this, you know, you know, let's talk about it in the context of culture Um, and you're able to reach so many more people and you're able to find so much more common ground. Um, And I think it makes my content maybe more digestible for people, I would say it doesn't come across as like, I'm going to hit you over the hammer. With yeah. like, Let's talk about Trump. Let's talk about <laughs> Biden. It's like,
0: but don't you think I'm it's also easier to talk a little bit more about like drama topics or, yeah. or maybe topics that hit on a more emotional level yes, than exactly. like logical?
1: Yes. Yeah. And okay. people are driven by emotion these days. And, what, and I've said this publicly before on the show and I love Ben and, you know, he's a mentor of mine. And I think, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. It's such a fun, punchy line. But I think, especially with my generation, they don't really care about facts. It's like, emotions are dictating so much now Mm -hmm. whether that's better or worse that's something we can all relate on that's the human to human connection and obviously facts are important at the end of the day but if you can't reach somebody emotionally whether that's a positive emotion or a negative emotion like facts will go out their ear Mm -hmm. they don't care and especially in a time when we see so many, you know, whether it's, you know, scientists or politicians, the media lying about facts or changing them, like literally just, you know, saying an outright lie or, get, you know, getting the facts changed in order to fit an agenda or a narrative. It's like, OK, so then if they're doing that, then how do we reach people yep. with emotion? And that also, as like somebody who comes from like an acting and a storytelling background and why I loved acting so much in addition to it being an escape was that it allowed me to tap into the emotions that I was too scared To deal with as a child and was too scared to feel or express and so i really really understand the importance of connecting to people on that level and Mm -hmm. reaching people at that level um and so it makes me happier too and so as a content creator i feel more fulfilled in what i'm doing because i read my comments and it's less about people you know being fired up about some political policy or being angry at joe biden which gets so tiresome i don't want to talk about him anymore it's boring i do i don't want to talk about trump anymore whether it's positive or negative it's boring Mm -hmm. But hearing people's anecdotal stories and the way that they are emotionally responding to things in the world right now is really interesting to me. And you really understand where people come from. Um, yeah. And so I think that's why I'm able to connect. You know, what I grew up doing my career prior to this and what I'm doing now, I think it kind of fuses together in a really, really nice way.
2: Yeah. It's a really interesting quote that politics lie downstream from culture. Yeah. And I actually completely agree. And mm-hmm. recently, oh, actually, I shouldn't say recently. i say probably about a year ago, I became a lot more disinterested in politics. Growing yeah. up, I was kind of interested in it. Yeah. And I had gone to like some political meetings and stuff like Mm. that growing up and then you're laughing Mm -hmm. a year or so ago I realized it's kind of worthless it's kind of Mm -hmm. useless like a lot of the times like you said it's just all filled with vitriol and you can't really focus on like bigger picture things like hating on certain people it's mostly on like incidental anecdotal with one person yeah um And also on top of that, what I noticed is that conservatives and liberals, and I could get blamed for this, actually have a lot more in common in in terms of values, like core values, Mm. uh, than people think. Yeah, and a lot of the times the values are just masked by culture and yep. certain like frameworks of where you grew up mm-hmm. How you grew up and stuff like that yep. But the value systems are virtually and there's the same. very
1: very extremes on both sides And those are you know, out that's of what liar. gets the
0: attention though. Yes,
1: exactly and and a lot of times, you know those, you know, very, you know Polarizing sides like obviously they get very angry at each other and it's important to talk about them because those obviously feed into the masses But I think if you find like commonplace people on the street they will have things in common. And I think they get pulled in either direction and they feel like they have to have allegiance to, like, okay, this really intense, crazy side. This right. really intense, crazy side. And I think it's important to show people that it's, like, it's okay to have common sense. If I could say that, like, I could boil down my content into, like, one word, it would be common sense. And it's, like, I just want to have a place where you can, you know, laugh, where you can feel like the world isn't too crazy on either side.
0: You know what's <laughs> funny? That could be your second channel. We were talking about yeah. this earlier. Oh, yeah. Common sense with <laughs> Brett Cooper. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's in the comments section. Clever. Yeah. 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 Sense. Yeah. That's that works. Good. You're welcome. That's I'm coming up with so many man. great yeah. ideas. I know. Yeah. He's been, like, yeah, yeah. just that's good, on, guys. On Even yeah. for the sponsor earlier, I'm like, yeah. you got to get a sponsor. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, and I yeah. think that that's something that a lot of people are missing these days, because that isn't inherently political. And I think what you were saying about it being worthless is that especially as a young person, I mean, you probably relate to, like, Gen Z, there's a reason why we feel so hopeless all the time. Like, mm-hmm. the world is just filled with fear porn. That everybody's telling us the world is like burning around us or you know we're you know born into 9/11 like I mean all of this stuff like know. it's just like constant but there is a anger. reason for that because yeah. that's
0: what gets the clicks yes and exactly. so of course it's gonna feed and it into gets that. people
1: super angry and that sort of thing but we live in a very we have grown up in a very strange world where we're the most digital of any generation before and so that's a totally new thing it's like very very heated and polarized um, and I think that a lot of Gen Z is just exhausted and there's a reason why I think so many Gen Zers say, you know, I don't want to have families, I don't want to have kids. And I think having children is like the most hopeful thing that don't you can do. you feel like do. every
0: generation it's says that no, Like millennials man. say, like, I it don't want to crazy. have <laughs>
2: I talk to people and no, they're like, I really? do not want to have kids. That's a deal breaker, stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm just completely bewildered. I'm like, I think that like 30 what in years life, life is could just be better common. than
0: being a father? I don't know, but I really don't know. I'm, I'm just saying, like I, th- the- I think every generation mm-hmm. That'd be the same interesting thing. to
1: see what people say
0: yeah because imagine like going through world war ii and thinking like oh I'm, i don't want to bring up mm-hmm. a kid in this environment or that's true. You know, i Vietnam also will say i just, think it's a part really, of the culture like mm-hmm.
2: people like the rebellious nature of oh i'm not gonna have kids and stuff yeah. like that i'm I a lone wanna wolf i, I want to be yeah. by myself but that's also because life can be pretty good if you just default to like going on your phone and like
1: yeah you know, and not having to in the yeah. mind but i think there's like also
0: that. less societal uh, societal pressure now to have kids yeah you don't need to have a child. i think it's even in
1: the opposite side of things like i remember having conversations with my friends in high school who and i would say like i want to have kids and they'd be like you would throw it all away for a child like that and i was like we're 15 and you're like you're like i you're so angry about this already it was and you know like even at that young age they were so anti it.
2: it's also kind of cool to like say that you don't want to have kids you know you want to be a lone wolf i see a lot of
0: people doing that as well yeah yeah well i think there's a benefit in waiting that's that's my belief.
3: Yeah, know, I mean, you should to, probably
2: you know. wait for you know while
3: you're yeah, ready. But, you're but at the right, same person, time, we said right, about yeah. like you it know getting you to a grow established up well, which career. Is nice. For a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know?
2: they can have a baby at a younger age, and then they're kind of forced to take in the
0: parental role and then mature. At a younger... But I don't think that should be done out of a pressure <laughs> to like <laughs> that you know, is that's no, the right thing mean, to no, do But if you wanted to, but I feel like for a lot of women, there is that pressure where it's like you know your mid twenties, like when are you going to start having kids? And I feel like that shouldn't be
1: still biological. Like yeah. obviously, but it's a true. Societal but pressure, but you could also but, be um, you could also
0: be thirty and yeah. have just as a successful of that as is a, true. I mean, true. my yeah, mom yeah, did not me. Yeah. At, I think
1: it was forty two. But as somebody who literally wants like five or six children, I'm like, really? Obviously, like not right now. Right, but I do right. think about that. Of like, I don't think I want to be having a kid at forty two and so i'm like
2: it's kind of a tough thing because you think you want to have it at like you know 24 25 26 yeah because you want to be young while your kids are like growing up you play catch with them and stuff like that that. your shoulders don't hurt but at the same (laughs) time you want to be able to enjoy your 20s so i don't know it's a tough situation i think though when you have a kid at least what i'm hoping for who knows if it's actually like this that just everything (laughs) in your life becomes so much better everything and my life's
0: already very, very good. But as you have a kid, you have, someone like, that that you have to care you care of, but enough. I don't <laughs> feel like, but <laughs> you're like but having but having your twenties and having that freedom to pursue anything. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you moving here yeah. It would have not as, have been probably as doable yeah. if you had a newborn. It's like mm-hmm. that's something you well, have to consider. I, I mean, think, I mean, your a, mom did move you around quite a bit when you were a young. Yeah. I was you going to say, but, I also feel
1: like I'm in a different situation where in a way, obviously, it's not the same thing as like the freedom in your 20s. But I feel like I've experienced a lot in my 21 years where it's like I've literally moved all over the country. Mm-hmm. I've traveled internationally. I've had multiple careers at this point. And it's like, all right, cool. I feel very stable in the job that I have now. And so it's kind of weird. I had this conversation with a couple of friends of, you know, of mine who are still kind of in this like flux of like, I don't know where I want to live permanently or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I'm not really in a position where if like I got pregnant, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, like what's no. going on? It's like, oh, I'm actually like very stable. And that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. That's actually scarier to me because I, you know, was thinking like, Is oh, it... you know, farther down the yeah. line. It was like, oh, like I'm an adult now. That's very, very weird to be like very comfortable with that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but no, but I do. I definitely think for women, like obviously it is, you know, societal. But for me, at least, it is biological because it's. I had, you know, my brothers were twelve and fourteen years older than me. My mom had me when she was forty-two. They had a totally different relationship with my grandparents than I did because my grandparents were young, super fun. I barely saw my grandparents growing up because mm. they were older. They were moving into assisted living. They didn't want to deal with like a. You know, my, I have one cousin that's closer to my age and we like barely saw grandparents because of that Mm. totally different they my brothers traveled with them did all of this stuff and i remember growing up being like i don't want that like i don't want my parents to be tired i don't want my you know grandparents to be. i don't want my kids to have that experience but it all goes back to my mom
0: was 38 when she had me okay so for me that just seems kind of normal yeah and it seems like at least from my perspective Mm -hmm. you pursue everything that you want to do yeah you know on your own have that freedom go and travel the world Mm -hmm. like have those experiences and then once you've done those then it makes sense i think uh Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you think you child.
1: would still, like, travel the world and do that kind of thing with kids? Probably not. Mm-hmm.
0: No. I'm very set. Like, I, even You're for like, me, I'm ready to settle. <laughs> yeah, well, even, even for me, traveling is <laughs> just, like, it's not something I necessarily look that's forward. That's crazy. Okay. That, not. to me, is it's crazy, a hassle. Man. I love just, no. like, being home. I will like, say, like, okay. It's a comfortable
3: I and, do like, agree
1: with that. I don't yeah. like menial traveling. I don't like just hopping. Like, if I'm just, like, popping over to do, like, a work thing, oh, my God, it's exhausting. Really? I don't, yeah. like, I mean, it's... That's his favorite kind of
2: traveling, work travel.
1: Well, I mean, it is paid for it, so that's nice. But these days, where it feels like travel is so screwed up post-COVID, in my opinion, where I feel every time I travel, like, something goes wrong. And Mm -hmm. I was in the midst of, like, the Southwest chaos over Christmas. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. However, like, international travel still excites me. And I've always said that I would love to, like, spend a year abroad with my future kids and, like, Mm -hmm. teach them another language and do something like that. But I also think because I was homeschooled and because I had so much flexibility, I think of, like having kids is like, oh my God, there's all these opportunities. Like this really? is so, so cool. <laughs>
0: See, for me, I wanna do van life with Macy. Okay. And just travel the United States in a van. I'd love to take the iced coffee hour on okay. the road. Like at some point, I think it be, get, a, get an RV. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Here's the thing: I'm a very <laughs> yeah. open-minded guy. Like yeah. anyone
2: can pitch me anything. I'm like, ah, oh, sure, That'd why not? Let's so see what happens. Fun. So I would, I would be I down to do that, that. Test it out for a year. You so. can
0: have the bunk. That's the one. Thing. I could have the bunk. Yeah, but it's would,
3: it's, it's crazy though. Comfy. But even
0: like having a dog makes yeah. things difficult because you can't necessarily yeah, sure. take the dog everywhere you go. Having a cat mm-hmm. easier. But having a reef aquarium is probably the most limiting thing for me. I, you, I can't believe
2: are we here's he, he
0: wanted it so badly. This reef How aquarium, three hundred and uh, fifty gallons. It's really, it's really, it's big. huge. Yeah. yeah, but it's so delicate. It's like someone's got to be there to like fill up the water for the reservoir. Like every two days. Do you have like, a caretaker?
1: So I mean, obviously I there think are a couple Beyonce, people but... in
2: Vegas that can do
1: it.
0: Yeah. yeah, they 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 know the ins and the outs. But still, if, like if I'm there, I yeah. test the waters. I make sure like if something fell over, I like, yeah I take yeah I keep it pristine. Yeah. So, leaving that for more than a week at a time is difficult. Yeah. So,
1: that's. So, then thinking about kids, obviously. I, I can't to- I
0: can't do that van life.
1: Yeah. And are you going to take the reef aquarium with you? No, I wish I could. Put it in the van. Yeah. Custom built van.
2: I heard this analogy and I loved it because I always grew up planning on having at least two kids. And I was okay. like, okay, maybe two, maybe three. And mm-hmm. then I heard from somebody, they're like, I want to have a bunch of kids. And yeah. I was like, why would you want to have a bunch of kids? He's like, man, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. I'm like, why do you, you want so many? He's like, this you want me to say? Meet Kevin said it He's another finance Ah, YouTuber Okay, And he was like And I was like Why do you want to have so many kids He's like Think about it this way man They're your best friends Why would you not want more best friends yeah. and i was like well that makes sense you don't have to give you birth your best
0: friend i have so many i have too many friends families I can't are great because you're, you're
2: bonded by something like it's I kind disagree. of like a marriage it's like a marriage right where, where you're, you're, you're you're existing with somebody and you're living with them and you're happy and everything but as soon as you sign that contract it's another level that you yeah. have to break through if you want to leave Which it so I you have to make think it work a
1: societal thing where so many people think that marriage is like so much easier to throw away or it doesn't mean as much and you know, they're like, "Oh, I can get married. I'll just get divorced if it doesn't work. Like, whatever." Oh no! And it's like, people can
2: make it work. That's yes. the thing, and they don't think that
0: they do. I think people are way more compatible
1: well, what if,
2: in general. What, what, what
0: about instances of cheating? Do you want to be with somebody who's cheating? Oh no, I yeah, I'm not somebody I mean, who's like, I don't believe like, there's got to be anything. there's got to be a line there, or it's like
1: it, there you know, absolutely does. But I, yeah, right. but they don't want it to
0: work it. out at all. The thing is, yeah. you have it has to be two people that both want oh, it to
2: work course. out. of course, yeah. You can make it work out regardless of circumstances. I think it's less about the
1: ending of marriage and more about like as you're entering into marriage. And I see a lot of my friends, and I see some of them that are, you know, a little more trivial with it and then some that are you know i mean they take it so so seriously mm-hmm. and this is the end all be all and even if you're you know already living with e- each other or something like that still they say like things change and you know you could become just like oh we're basically roommates but you have to like actively work and so that's something i see with at least like our generation of it being like oh you know if it doesn't work and yeah, it doesn't you know we can just break up basically and get divorced i'm like oh
2: that's crazy, and somebody who yeah. went through that was like, like one a of divorce,
1: the worst you know as a child and that sort of thing i'm like that's not easy it's not a quick fix. Like, mm-hmm. that thing took five freaking years. It's exhausting. Um, but anyway, that was just my side about marriage, too. But I do, Doesn't I think seem like way it's way a good thing
0: to be like, I want to have friends, so I'm going to have kids. It's just like, that's <laughs> it's not... It's not friends, man. You got to do it for best yourself. best friends, Graham. Best friends. Okay, have you ever had
2: a best friend before? <laughs> yes. And what was that like?
0: Fantastic. I have, exactly. I have many
2: best friends. <laughs> hey. And you can have more as long as you have kids. I think, look, you have kids. And not only that, but I feel like you're also contributing to the greater good. Especially That's if you're, how I feel. If but that if seems a good That seems selfish. That seems no, like you're bringing life into the world like because you want a best friend. No, dude. I think if you can raise kids and you can turn them into great citizens and, and mm-hmm. they are productive, they help out people, they help out, they advocate yeah, for the Yeah, but I feel like you have to have like, a kid with no expectation. Like you have to go in thinking, I'm going to do no, this, give the best you, shot.
0: No. You go in, you have to be so intentional about yeah. having children. Like, I'm you have, going in that's with what the I'm saying. expectations, but, but that's what I'm saying. But you can't go in with like they're going to love me and they're going to do this and do that. I don't feel like you can. Well, I think that. I think they're that's different. different. Yeah. I, mean, I
1: think that <laughs> like <gonna> love- how <laughs> could they not though, love me? Jack's man. fine. They're gonna love Jack. I was gonna say I think that you know as somebody who, like, with my brother and that sort of thing, I've watched his relationship with my parents be so fractured over the years of, you know, with his, you know, drug abuse and, like, that sort of thing. I've also watched, you know, with my father, you know, the way that, you know, our relationship was, you know, totally destroyed at some point. Um, And my mom and I have also gone through periods, you know, where we're closer, we're not closer, but especially with her, even in dealing with my brother, like, I feel like, I you know, I watch her as a parent and no matter what happens, like, that love is unwavering. And her desire to force you it's like you look at parents and your job is to like get the kid to leave the nest basically Mm -hmm. to create you know this productive fulfilled independent go out and do good things and that is like constantly her goal that's the reason why she was encouraging me to you know take this job do this thing move across the country do all of this with my brother it was not just like, oh, honey, I just want you to be, it was like, I want you to be able to get better so that you can go out in the world and continue doing good things and living your life and being fulfilled. Like her job is not to keep you. It is to bolster and continue working. Mm-hmm. And even with like, like there were times where my, where my brother like hated my mom, scre- hated the things that she was trying to get him to do. I don't want to take these meds. I can't believe you're kicking me out of the house. Like all of this stuff, unwavering. And even now it's like he permanently lives in a psychiatric facility. He's no longer in like a assist or whatever. Like he is nonverbal. He will be there permanently, um, even like fully on meds, like it went so far. And he was like totally sober, was not abusing drugs, was med compliant, living with me in Idaho for a year, and it just snapped one day. And so he permanently lives there, and even still, like she still holds out hope. Like she would still drop anything and do everything, even though he has like in many ways totally blown up some of the stuff that she offered. And it's that is the coolest thing to me, Hmm. to be able to like from her perspective of like you get to experience a love like literally nothing else. And also, it's, it's literally your job to mold these humans to like send them out into the world to hopefully be good people. And also, like I said earlier, it's sort of like for the greater good. But also, I think that having kids is hopeful, and saying like I do think that there is like a world to be left for you like I am going to do everything in my power to make sure that the world that I leave behind for you like my legacy or whatever is you know something that's good for you and I do believe that you can change things and you can continue or continue making change it's incredibly helpful and that's when I like, look at our generation who's like no the world's doomed I don't want to have kids because of that it's like oh my god like no wonder Gen Z so is so freaking is that the depressed.
0: general consensus though because I feel like again we're just getting the extremes and mm-hmm. either it's end it's a, a pretty a popular opinion. opinion yeah is it yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely that's the reason yeah. most it's, of the oh bro me, this is a in...
2: serious conversation to have really? if you're dating at this age yeah. absolutely yes
0: I just think it's you know people are Having kids later Because mm-hmm. there's more Opportunity out there No but, more I, it to might do. be For it's millennials like,
1: But for Gen Z It's like Super common Yeah
0: Really Oh dude but, d- but then again It's crazy
1: The amount of
2: conversations but, I'll have And they'll be like uh, Like it comes up And they say I don't want to have kids Immediately
1: You're done it just,
0: Yeah ends it ends it but yes. don't you think that's also can be an opinion that changes over time it
1: could be but why would i risk it
0: yeah that's a pretty hefty No, but thing i'm just saying if you're your talking to your on. buddies and you're just saying "Do you want to have kids oh no i'm you know and they're 19 mm-hmm. i feel like that's a lot more common my than buddies ask, they want to have kids ask them 10 years from now the mm-hmm. same people who said friends, no. how many kids. who said no will have kids and just change i well, don't really keep in touch with the people that say <laughs> 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 really do you, do no. you just like just audio
2: my friends are i like to think that they're reflections of me in some capacity and yeah they all want to have kids in fact one of them He got married already. Mm -hmm. He's probably going to have a kid soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same age. So, I mean, like on the flip
1: side, like my brother, the oldest brother thought about, you know, wanted kids and then never, you know, really met anybody that he wanted to have kids with. Mm -hmm. And so he's just kind of been like resigned Mm -hmm. himself to not having kids. Uh, So, I I mean, I think it can change on the opposite end. But I think as somebody who like, you know, dates intentionally and like looks for a potential partner and that sort of thing. It's like if you're even wavering on that right now, Mm -hmm. like now. Yeah. It's even like it's, I think it's like a value thing like from the get-go. It's like I'm so hopeful, I'm so excited about. It. If you are not like that on board with it of like wanting this kind of life and it's like I know that I will probably want to homeschool my kids for at least part of my life, which means or part of their life. Um which means that I, you know, will have to, you know, he or I will have to make a certain amount of money in order to, you know, give that opportunity or if I want to, you know, travel and live like a year abroad with them or whatever. Like that's kind of the, those are the kinds of things that I bring up. Hmm. Um because it's
0: yeah, i think i brought that up on the second date with macy see yeah, that's good. yeah she yeah. she asked if i wanted kids and i said one day not yeah. right now i want to want to do van life and mm-hmm. do the ice yes coffee yeah. hour but uh i was very adamant about one and she's two so okay. i'll have to, i'd be okay with two that's good but Two's i grew up good. really as like an only child mm-hmm. so for me i loved just having like all the attention yeah. i get everything you know? i don't know
2: i, like I think that. i think there's a great relationship that, between yeah. siblings i have an older brother and we grew up together two and a half years apart. Mm. And the things that I learned from his mistakes, I didn't necessarily have to learn them myself. Because oh, I could see yeah. him acting out of line, my parents were like, Oh, you better not do that. And I'm like, Oh my God, right. like hiding behind the corner, like, yeah. Okay, I'm never gonna make this mistake mm. my brother made. And at the same time I can go out and experience things my own way. And the way that they parent me the, the way that they parented me is completely different than the way that they parented him. And I think that like the first go around, you're like, okay, I'm kind of figuring mm. it out, learning as we go. Second time, i oh, definitely, Wait, not saying I was yeah. parenting <laughs> better than my brother. Yeah. But I'll just say, like, it was... I think that I, think yeah. that I was. It it was. Like, for sure. Oh, yeah. they were... How were they on yeah. you compared to your older siblings?
1: Well, also because, like I said, my brother's death, I think, changed a lot for my mom. Mm-hmm. But my oldest brother once said, and I think he'll still say this, is he had more freedom at military school. He wanted to go into really? the military... his entire life he went to the marines private high school Mm -hmm. and then he went to the air force academy and he served for a while still works for the air force he had more freedom at military school than he did at my mom with my mom i mean she was very very strict Mm -hmm. and he respects it now Mm -hmm. but at the time you know as a 15 year old boy hated it and i watched their mistakes as well but i think my mom relaxed a lot she was also you know i think i got her at a point in her marriage when she was a lot more confident and knew that things were wrong Mm. my dad very you know has dealt with very very severe mental health issues and those are kinds of things that like she stuck with him for so long through it and it just got to a point where it's like was not good at all mm-hmm. um and so they divorced but i got to see her you know one story i don't think i've ever told before is that my brother david a week before he died my dad had this like major blow up blind rage and i don't remember even what it was about he threw something it was awful my brother came into my mom's room crying and was like why are you so married to this man like why do you allow him to treat us like this, um like I understand that he's ill, I understand that things are wrong, but this is not healthy. This isn't wrong. You're not happy. We're not happy. And he died a week later. And I think, I mean, she was like,
0: yeah, ripped gosh. apart.
1: And I mean, and I was five at the time. Yeah. And so my then childhood was totally changed. And it, that was like a, a snap for her. Of like, I cannot raise this child the same way. And I think constantly, you know, with my brothers, she was battling between prioritizing, you know, her first husband. You know it was also i would say had a lot of demons but he got brain cancer when my the middle brothers were one and then he passed away so my mom was dealing with like a terminally ill husband and three boys and then was a single mom uh and then Quickly got remarried to my dad, who she knew in college, and then realized that that was not what she had expected either. And so it was constantly for their young adult life going back and forth between like I have to care for the husband, I have to care for you, I have to like go back and forth, back and forth. And I don't, I think she was so wound up and so stressed. And my oldest brother now totally understands that, but it we were raised so differently because of it. Obviously, like our values are the same. It was still the same mother, but the way that she, you know, reprimanded us, the way that she, you know, gave us opportunities, I think was very, very different. It's interesting to watch that, but I also. In ways I felt like an only child because my brothers were 12 and 14 years older than me, but yeah. I still had that brother connection. Like when things were really bad with my dad, my oldest brother, who's 14 years older than me, became like that father figure in a lot of ways. And it's mm. been like the support system that I have, I mean, could not repay him for. Of like he would be in Florida, he would answer the phone at 4 a.m. And I would be like sobbing, having some kind of panic attack over something. And he would just sit there, fly me out to him, offered, you know, you can live with me. Would get in the middle of my middle brother and I when my brother was having like psychotic breaks and that kind of thing. I mean, truly like stepped the hell up. Mm. And because of that, I want to have like a lot. I want to give them that, but also hopefully closer in age. Um, But it's just, you know, that's a kind of relationship that I don't have anywhere else. I think it's very, very empowering. Mm. Not empowering, that's not the right word. It's just really, really meaningful.
2: Sure. Yeah, is your older brother still in Seattle?
1: Uh, no, so he never moved up there. So, oh, that was the part of the story that I never finished. But <laughs> I moved to Boise. My mom was thinking that she was going to be so close to all of us, and then I moved here, and my brother stayed in Florida. So now my mom is just hmm. in Idaho by up <laughs> She was like, "Why did I stay here? I could have gone, you know, back to the south." But no, so my brother's in Florida.
2: Okay, I was going to say that would have been a wicked coincidence. Because My brother's in Seattle.
1: Nice. Yes. Yeah. no, he's in. He's in Florida doing Air Force yeah. stuff.
0: Here's yeah. an interesting topic. What do you think about legalizing drug use? or decriminalize Uh, it
1: gosh um it's a really really hard subject because i have this like personal emotional like tie to it Mm -hmm. and so my gut reaction is like i don't want anybody doing that i don't want any family to have to go through what we did but i also kind of look at it philosophically it's like it's not my job to tell you what to put in your body we already know that you know Drinking is a toxin and that's legal and people, you know, drive drunk and that happens. And so, you know, drugs are not healthy for us in most senses. Um, It shouldn't be my job to tell you to dictate what you put in your body. Um, But I also think that so many drugs are just not studied well enough. We just don't really know the long term impacts, especially on young people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't really know if I have a firm answer. Um, For hard drugs, I, you know, I'm not in favor of it. I think it's just there's too much that's unknown. I think it's sure. incredibly dangerous for people and purely because of the and I don't and maybe that's you know philosophically inconsistent. I try to say really consistent, but I, I think I can be clouded by the fact that I have seen with my brother and with the people that he was on the street and I mean it literally it can destroy you yeah and you and you have, we have no idea
0: yeah see part of me feels like if a lot of these were legalized Mm -hmm. or at least decriminalized to a certain extent that Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have drugs laced with fentanyl Mm -hmm. and all these other randoms Mm -hmm. that could probably do more damage than if that person went like hey here's a trusted source Mm -hmm. i'm gonna do it anyway yeah uh at least i could go through this avenue Mm -hmm. we could regulate it to a certain extent we could tax it
4: but
1: i think that was my kind of where i started with all of this and i thought that and then one thing that kind of threw me for a loop is looking at california after they legalized weed is that now it is so heavily regulated and taxed that illegal you know marijuana growth and selling is popped back up again That's because horrible. it got so yeah. expensive and but the labor laws are terrible people are dying like they're re- it's like but my oh,
0: thought is on that is that they only issued so many licenses yeah and so it was like this lottery system mm-hmm. and whoever didn't get a license like well i'm just gonna do it anyway yeah and I think it was a terrible system to begin with yeah and uh seeing actually how they steal water now from mm-hmm. the state and they do them illegally and they yeah. take water away from fighting fires is yep. nuts to me yeah but that shows me that there there's a huge market for it and yeah. they may as well embrace it
1: people are going to allow it anyway. more yeah. people
0: you know allow make, make it easier for people who want to yeah. get into that to do it properly
1: and i think that that's where it goes back to culture Where it's, you know, if we talk to young people who think that, you know, drugs are harmless and that sort of thing, it's like, that's objectively a lie. Um, And maybe in some cases, you know, it's fine. But I do think if we are able to have the tough conversations of saying, you know, this is not like a easy fix-all, you can't take this to cope and fix everything – You know, there are drawbacks to it, just like with drinking all of that. I think, you know, at least in my generation, I see that people have just gotten, in my opinion, way too comfortable with it. Um, And I think that is difficult for me. And so I think that's why I would focus more on changing the culture around it, of, you know, being more responsible if you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Because either way, when the government gets involved, it's going to be screwy regardless. There's never going to be a perfect situation. Nobody's ever going to be happy. There's always going to be fault. The government's going to tax something too much, regulate it, not enough, whatever. (laughs) Um, And so the only thing that I can do as a person in my Situation is tell, you know, my family story, share my opinion about it, and maybe keep some kid from doing something that's like totally irresponsible, I guess. That's why
0: I think good role models, especially online, are really important. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked actually, we met a while ago with the Stradman. Mm-hmm. And he's like, No alcohol, no caffeine, yeah. no nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. like working, I'm having a great time. Yeah. You don't have to do this either. Even Danny Duncan mm-hmm. is very much against everything. And I think yeah. when he has an audience of millions of people who watch every yeah. single video, that, that goes a long way. Yeah. Like I guarantee yeah, some fourteen year old kid you can't is gonna
2: expect kids to have these role models in the same way that mm-hmm. you can't expect a family unit to provide all of the yeah the, the reasonable well, values. It, everyone is up to somebody though. Yeah, but you, just because they look up to somebody doesn't mean that it's a good idol. You could have a false idol, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it's it's a tough conundrum that I've always deliberated in my head. Is like, okay, when should the government step in to take care yeah. of people? Because in my opinion, like I have a, I'm a, I have a pretty anti drug just like philosophy in yeah. general. But at the same time, like similarly to you, mm-hmm. it's like you want people to be able to make the choice that they want to make and yeah. have freedom. Mm-hmm. So I feel like for for drug use specifically, I don't think drugs should be legalized. I think they're incredibly no. dangerous No, really I think they're incredibly dangerous and mm-hmm. I think it is so hard for me because I like to say philosophically consistent yep. but at the same time I think that some people just can't make the right decisions for themselves and yep. doing drugs objective I won't say objectively yeah. I will not say objectively but I think it is a terrible terrible decision Yeah, people are people have addictive personalities and they'll make they'll mm-hmm. make bad decisions and it goes you know, so you go down a rabbit hole and Right. Screw yourself over and everybody you, that cares
0: about you, too. Where do you draw the line at what drug weed? Let's let's start there Well, okay,
1: y- with weed for like I you know, I have friends that have you know, battled with autoimmune diseases and you know Cancer and that sort of thing if it is like medically like for people going through chemo If you are, you know given like a medical cannabis thing and it's gonna, you know, help you through chemo, or you know, chemo I've seen that be beneficial for people. It's like, okay, I think that's different than like recreational use but I would say, like, <laughs> that's probably where so,
0: I So, So you would say. Draw the so line
1: on my comfort would you, level.
2: That's you where you draw the line. So
0: you both would draw the line. I
2: would say we, medical marijuana would be fine. Really? Yes. Yeah. I think, honestly, even recreational marijuana. Mm. I'm like. Well, here's the really? thing. Really? I, I don't think it's, like, super damaging. But mm-hmm. the thing is, it, it becomes a lifestyle. And yep. that's the that's, part where it becomes yep. damaging. It's like if you want to do it for a little escape. But at the same time, it's like.
1: I think it's it, like yeah, a it's, weapon. I think you know what I mean? It could be used thing that like
0: Really? But, yeah. Okay, that- from my perspective they're happy. They don't fight each other. Mm-hmm. They're not like really getting in trouble. Well, I see I... I see it largely as something harmless and mm-hmm. you know you could argue maybe it's a gateway to other things I don't know mm-hmm. um, I would
1: say like medically I don't see it as harmless with what is coming out about how it changes your brain chemistry with heart stuff um, smoking weed can be detrimental for people who have like that's one of the reasons why I never was going to do it because my family has this history of you know cardiac arrest there are links there especially with young people um, and if you are smoking pot before your brain is fully developed it's like we just don't have those studies because drugs have not been legalized they really have not been studied and we have not had you know the generational period you know to see what happens to the kids that have spent their entire you know teen years college years smoking pot what happens to them in 50 years we just don't know and that's like a risk that i'm not willing to take
0: well don't we don't we know what happens 50 years later i feel like I think, a lot well, of a lot of adults I would like say, 50 yeah, to 70, i guess 70 in the have and that been, sort of
1: thing but again you know, i think that the drugs now are so different
0: it's dangerous because
2: I like to compare it to a weapon. It's like you can use it in a good way to defend yourself. You can use it as an escape sometimes if you want to like lay low and whatnot. But at the same time, you can use it to do serious harm to yourself and people around you. But at the same time, yeah. the difference between obviously like a weapon and, and weed is one is altering your psychology. Yeah. So that's going to impair your
0: okay. judgment saying, and everything. Yeah. I say this, by the way, So someone mm-hmm. who's never done drugs, okay. nothing. I've, I've smoked weed twice. Okay. Two or three times, I think, in my entire life because uh-huh. I was curious as nice. like 16 okay. years old. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Never anything else. But I feel like alcohol is way more harmful. I was gonna say, okay. So yeah. I was going to
1: bring that up. So I have a really good friend of mine who is probably the most like anti-drug person I've ever met and like can sp- like run circles around people, is so intelligent, but she also gets drunker than anybody else in my life. And so that's something I brought up. And I don't really drink a lot. And honestly, I drank more before I turned 21. And I probably you know could count on one hand the amount of drinks I've had since October when I turned 21. And I think I'm moving more and more towards probably stopping drinking and i did like dry january and i loved it i think mm. i've had one drink since then um and it's honestly i don't know if you've noticed with our generation like being sober is beginning like it's, it's cool very, very very popular it's yes, cool, which is. is really exciting to me but i'll bring up drinking a lot and i'll you know look at her and i'll say so what is the difference and she doesn't really have an answer and it's like it is literally a toxin we know now there was a new report from oh god it was in Canada what was the the organization it was like the Canadian like Bureau of Substance Abuse or something like that and it talks about the links of alcohol to cancer and even like one drink increases the likelihood of Alzheimer's and cancer and so it's like doesn't it it
0: depend on the drink though because I've heard so many studies on wine like red wine I think can be a little
1: different but still alcohol in general and intoxication and the impact that it has you know with DUIs and people you know being belligerent and killing people on the road and that sort of thing and it's like, so, you know, we know, <laughs> we see all these facts, so how does it differ? And I think that's one point that I get stuck on, because obviously we've tried banning alcohol before. That didn't work. Mm-hmm. So that's where I get so torn on it, and I just don't...
0: I just feel like people are going to do it anyway. Yeah. They're going to choose to do alcohol it. Alcohol is something
2: either... you could make, and it doesn't take many resources to make something with alcohol. Well, it's it. the same Strip. with weed. True true about weed. i, I, guess. I, I think there's a I lived lot of somebody, drugs that people I lived could just next like door
1: to somebody in la who was growing pot in their apartment oh, whoa. i mean yeah oh. in their apartment in their apartment
2: oh yeah closets S-
1: man you yeah just,
2: yeah okay i've it never grown stunk. weed. I mean, i'm not really sure
0: <laughs> i'm just saying i think people are going to do it regardless okay that's yeah that's it okay. makes sense to regulate tax mm-hmm. uh and offer something pure where you know you're not going to get like mm-hmm. some something laced in it that shouldn't be in there
2: i do wonder though. Uh, if If you change
0: something in the government
2: right to 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 criminalize all all drugs and whatnot yeah. to a to a higher degree, will that filter down into a cultural change? I feel like for the most part, I feel like no, I think it can, but over, though. Time, over time, over time, if you give it enough time. It okay, probably so will. I think
1: not to bring in another like very polarizing subject, but in one instance this year where I feel like I was even kind of proven wrong on the culture is downstream or no uh where i was proven wrong on the politics is downstream from culture was the dobbs decision so the overturning of roe v wade it was fascinating that in the like two months after that you know we saw all of these girls going on like sex strikes and saying i'm not gonna have sex because of this and there was a whole washington post article about girls my age saying like guess I'm not going to be hooking up anymore. Like, guess casual sex isn't going to be for me because I can't do this. And, you know, guess I'm going to have to be more safe. And it was all of these things that it's like, I think about as somebody who is pro-life. And that, you know, in the back of my head, and I'm somebody, you know, I don't really value hookup culture. I think it's detrimental to, especially women's health and that sort of thing. And they were having, you know, they were making all these decisions because of a law that was put in place. And then a lot of them, you know, months on the line were like, oh, this is so healthy. Like, I need to be anti, you know, hookup culture and that sort of thing. And I was like. Okay, so I guess in many cases, it can also be downstream from politics when they are forced to. But it was such a, it was a weird, I don't know, that was trippy for me. Because I, it was just interesting to watch them inadvertently kind of fall into like, no, this is actually healthy.
0: But But in the drug case, you have to also think of enforcement and the cost of that and the cost of putting people in jail. Mm. Does someone really deserve to be in jail because they have an addiction or they Mm. have mental illness that they're coping with through drugs? And they have no violent defenses. Mm-hmm. They're minding their own business and they got caught up because they bought something on the street that they mm-hmm. shouldn't have been buying. It's like, is that the type of person who deserves to be in jail? Yeah. No. So that's what I think. And maybe there's a
1: difference, that. you know, a different debate to be had between like legalization and then decriminalization and you then, know like what? what should be criminalized. I basically.
0: think more mental health facilities, I think, would, I would be agree. fantastic because yeah, yeah. I think a lot of these, yeah. I don't know the statistics, it, it is. I'm just, but a lot of it, I think, it boils down to mental health. To mental health.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we have a culture that on both sides of the political aisle, I don't think we know how to deal with mental health. And this is somebody, you know, saying this is somebody who has grown up in this environment, which you guys now know a lot about, Um, you know, in addition to my brother, like I said, my dad has dealt with a lot. Um, And that's been a huge part of my life of, you know, in and out of therapy, you know, on and off of meds and that sort of thing. Both sides of the political aisle do not know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Conservatives have a reputation of believing that mental health does not exist. I'm friends with a lot of people who believe that, who say it's all stupid, none of it is real. And I'm like, I literally have a brother in a hospital right now that cannot even function i know and obviously a lot of that is now like chemical in his brain but it's like that is mental health i know that it's real um i spent years in therapy i can tell you that it's real but you know i understand where you're coming from because i think so many people especially in my generation use it as a crutch mm-hmm. and will self-diagnose and say oh, i'm so depressed it's like no nah, i think you're dealing with a minor inconvenience i think we've normalized it a little too far and trivializing it and i think there's also this kind of social contagion of people adopting mental health things i'm thinking that it's kind of cool to be depressed it's very cool to be like a tortured soul these days Mm -hmm. but then on the left you know they claim to be you know very caring we're going to fix this but then their solutions are you know social security and you know telling people that they you know affirming all of their problems rather than saying like here are the solutions to make you get better it's like we'll give you you know twelve hundred dollars every two weeks and say yes it's okay that you you know have depression rather than saying no let's let's fix this because it is a lifestyle you know it is something that you can take measures whether you're going on meds or not to make things better in your life even if it's literally just. Getting off of your phone and sitting out in the sun and eating a better diet, mm. that does wonder for you. For your a brain. lot of people. Yes. And for some people, it doesn't. And you will, like, my brother needs to be on mit. Must be on meds. And for him, it's like, what other, I do think that there need to be better mental health resources because for somebody like him, his only option right now is a state hospital. There is no place, there is one private place in the country that I have identified that if, like, my mom passes away and he's in Idaho right now and I need to, like, step in, like, as part of the, you know, is taking care of things, Mm -hmm. there is one place that I can get him to if I don't want him to be, you know, 11 hours away. I think he's more than that because he's a couple of hours away from her. One place. It is in Tennessee that does, like, intensive care. And that's private and it costs thousands of dollars. But that's something that Mm -hmm. I think about in the back of my mind of, like, okay, I know that I will want to take that on and I, like, agreed to take care of his estate and that sort of stuff. There's one of them. And obviously, I don't think that the asylum system was great and that's one thing that, you know, Reagan got rid of. Mm -hmm. But and, and they were obviously they mistreated a lot of people, but there's nothing like that anymore It's like what happens to those people instead. They just end up on the street. Yeah, they end up abusing drugs
0: That's what I've seen in Los Angeles. I think a mm-hmm. lot of the people on the street. They're mentally ill Yes,
1: um, there's no, and they there's don't no
0: have resources. any resources no. or places to turn. It's like what are they gonna do? They're yeah. they're on the street. It's either mm-hmm. they get picked up by police go to mm-hmm. jail get released right afterwards yeah. That just that that doesn't solve anything No,
1: and in my opinion just giving them cash every week also does nothing mm-hmm. because you can get more money if you're crazier i remember my brother was with like this community of homeless guys and one of them um who actually passed away a year ago and we planned his funeral he became a really good friend for my brother i mean this man was like 50 years old he lived on the street for most of his life was so tortured knew that he was dying and like took care of my brother in a lot of ways and if reed was in trouble like he would call me and be like mm-hmm. and he would be high out of his mind and still be like reed's in trouble reed's passed out like you need to come get him and that's what sort of, i mean it was incredible um but he would fake seeing like aliens and have visions in order to get more money because the crazier you are, you get more money. And so a lot of that is like put on. Because how then how he... is that?
0: How do they do that? How do they judge? Like it's how like you, severe? You,
1: like go in front of a psychologist or a psychiatrist, or it's like. But what does money? Employee.
0: What does money help with in that scenario? Is that because like you're that much less likely to work? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah,
1: but then they don't actually like my brother never tried to get a job. The people that he was around never tried to get a job. One of them got into a halfway house. You have to apply for those.
3: Sure.
1: Like the living facility that my brother was in in L.A., he had to apply to get in, and he had to pay like $50 a month or something like that. So Mm -hmm. he used his Social Security for that. Uh, You would get food stamps, but food stamps were separate than the Social Security cash that you were literally just given. Um, And so there wasn't an incentive for him to do that. And when you are that mentally gone, like all he cared about was getting drugs. So if he was getting $1,200 every two weeks to go just smoke pot and like trip on acid and that sort of thing like he was going to do that Mm -hmm. and so I think you know as somebody who is not really in favor of a lot of government intervention but I still think you know we do have these resources I think that you're just allocating the wrong resources to these people and you think the money is going to fix it and then you're going to pat yourself on the back like the LA you know government like this is so great we're fixing all this it's like look at the people on your streets they're literally suffering and they just die there and there's, there's no other resources. And yeah. just giving away taxpayer dollars does something. And there are so many incredible organizations and nonprofits and churches that step in and try to help, but there's only so much that they can do. Um, but then on the conservative side, I think that there is such a missed opportunity on the right because we talk about – Personal responsibility and accountability and you need to be a productive member of society and take care of your health like there are all these studies that you know conservatives are happier than liberals you know conservatives take care of themselves more um, because they care about personal responsibility they don't want to rely on anybody else that is an opportunity to reach those people and say like you are worth more like we can help you rather Mm -hmm. than like affirming this literal illness. It should not be, hey, you don't have a problem. You're being stupid. It should be, okay, what are the necessary steps in order to get you out of this because you deserve more, because you have more potential? Right. And it's like, that is such a good, whether you care about politics or not, it's like, that is what we should be giving these people. It's not just throwing them cash and being like, oh, so sorry that you so are mentally you, So how do you
0: make a change on that? I
1: have no idea. It may be cultural. I, again, I go back to, like, changing the conversation about it. I'm very, very open about talking with my family's mental health issues, which I think is something that is very Not really seen on the right. I'm really the only person that I know Mm -hmm. of that talks about this stuff very, very publicly. I spent years in therapy. Um, I I would have, like, panic attacks weekly when going through stuff with my brother. And when right after I got emancipated, my mom was back in Tennessee dealing, like, finalizing her divorce. I would go have to, like, find my brother on the street and would, like, maybe see him passed out. Or, like, he was tripping on something. Like, it was awful. Um, And I dealt with that for years. I had therapy. Before a lot of that started, I did therapy with my brother to kind of deal with my his twin's death and we did therapy together because he only agreed to do it if i would do it with him and then i had therapy to deal with <laughs> that brother wow so i've been in it a lot um and it's like i know that it's real i know people deal with it i know that our generation is the most mentally ill generation in history so it's like why there's so many reasons um i think social media has a lot to do with it technology yeah i think that's a huge Not portion being of like
2: it. present in the real world yeah i would say
1: um i think that the fear porn in the world around us where everything you know you know the media is designed to get clicks like you said the world is ending you know everybody's worried about you know gun violence people are worried about you know the future of this country democracy ending climate is actually it is the number one stressor for our generation Mm. like there is climate anxiety climate depression is now like an actual diagnosis that you can have and our media like feeds into that and so i think that's a big part of it and it's interesting that a lot of these the stressors for our generation is external rather than like i always thought of mine is like it came from my family mm-hmm. it was very internal but all of this is like all the external stuff
0: i think it's just because we have more access to everything and it's immediate mm-hmm. yeah and i still think it's the extremes like mm-hmm. i keep going back to TikTok, tock just mm-hmm. showing like the, the worst of the worst of the mm-hmm. worst on either end of the spectrum yeah. just to get like clicks mm-hmm. comments i think it was on facebook The angrier someone gets, the more likely that is to be at the top of the page. And it was anger that they went after, not Mm. fear or Mm. sadness. It was like, how angry is this going to make them Mm. to stay on here and write a comment? And I think that, you know,
1: we can have that conversation too about like how many people are actually diagnosed with things because you know we look at the stats for gen z and it's like our numbers are off the charts but some of those are you know self-diagnosed self-proclaimed whatever so i think that's another conversation but also like you said we're being fed this very extreme content so what is the impact that that is having on the viewers yeah. so then if it's constantly angry if everybody around you was constantly depressed they're all ang- anxious everybody's having this like identity crisis constantly it's like that becomes then the norm and yeah. whether you have that extreme or not I just see people kind of becoming complacent and believing that that's just the norm.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of extremes, what do you think of Andrew Tate?
1: <laughs> you know, I think that he's done good. I watch his clips and I think that he's done a lot for, you know, some young men. I think it's, I think he's an interesting figure. Um, I think he's started a lot of really important conversations. Do I think that he is like a masculine role model? No, I don't. And I think partially because I just don't love that lifestyle. I'm like, I look at a man and I don't qualify his masculinity because of how rich he is or how fast the a car he has or how many like high, you know, S tier women he's able to get. Even if it's mm-hmm. a Bugatti though. Well, yeah, <laughs> do not care. <laughs> but, like I would rather you drive a truck or some kind of Bronco and be a normal guy and have really great values. And like, I don't care how many cigars you smoke. And so I think that kind of turns me off a bit. Maybe that's very superficial, but I'm like, I just don't, you're not appealing to me, but I understand that guys like that. Um, And I understand that it's like, and like cool for them and that sort of thing. And maybe you can, you know, I don't know what you think about him, but I know I have guy friends who are like, oh, he's so cool, like, he's making me feel, like, empowered, and he's he's speaking to me. Part of me
0: is shocked that people can't see, like, I see in terms of politics, I Mm -hmm. see both sides equally, and I'm like, I love these things about this, and I love these things about this, and we could, like, bring them together. But I don't identify necessarily with one or the other. I yeah. just kind of pick and choose bits and pieces. Yeah. But I do the same thing with people. Mm-hmm. It's like I might disagree with some things they say, but I'm like that one thing. I kind of like that, yeah. and I'll pick and choose from that. Do I you think, think people have the ability his... to do that though? Because it seems like well, now it's it's less it's it's less about saying I like this one thing about yeah. this person, and I agree with like taking accountability. I, I think, think people are with...
2: more closed minded when they get a little bit younger, though. So like I yeah. think like mm-hmm. our generation,
0: Gen Z, is like
2: they like you either hate it's them or you love them. Yeah. But for an older generation, I feel like it's it's, it's it's much different. Same older grade. like I older am I older? You're a millennial, right? A millennial. Different you are techno. older.
1: There you go. True. Um, like I got flamed. Actually, it wasn't terrible, but I definitely did see some pushback in my comments because. I was talking about Jeffree Star and he, you know, was talking about, you know, gender binary and that kind of thing. And he came out and he was saying like the they, them stuff, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and he's also spoken out against, you know, gender transitions for children, saying they're not ready for that, that sort of thing. And so I made a video and I said, you know, obviously this YouTuber has a lot of controversy. controversy. He's done a lot of stuff. People hate him for many reasons. But this is something that we can commend, at least that my audience can commend. He's saying protect children. There we go. And people were like, "No, but he's done all this all, like other stuff, and I don't like him. I'm not like raw, raw, every Star. I love all your videos, but I'm like, hey, that was a, that was a good thing. And I think some, you know, conservatives also think that that means like you're bending the knee, you're compromising your values. I'm like, no, I'm not becoming a fan. I'm just acknowledging when somebody does something that you know might be beneficial for a listener, might open up their eyes to something new. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with Andrew Tate, like you're saying his lessons and his messages of, you know, taking accountability as a young man and speaking to young men and saying, I know it's hard for you right now. I know that, you know, modern feminism, you know, tells you you need to be effeminate and like all of this stuff. Like I know it's tough, but here are some of the things that you could do. Do I like the way he speaks about women? No, I don't. I think it's very weird. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of back and forth about what he was doing in Eastern Europe or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't love the way that he's spoken about that. Like I remember he said, you know, I think it was about sex trafficking or, or no, it was like, You know he doesn't condone rape but you know in some countries it's technically legal so and i was like well like there's still a moral wrong there there's still a moral wrong i think that (laughs) kind of goes back to like even if something's legal or whatever else still yeah i I would believe that it is wrong um so i obviously don't support those things but i think he's had viral moments and i think he has started important conversations online maybe that's Mm -hmm. how i would kind of frame it
4: yeah
2: so I'd think, agree with that. Yeah. I think he's a disruptor, and I think disruptors are extremely needed because yeah. it's super easy to That's just a good go way to with put the flow. It. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's kind and of it's fine. like
2: he gained a lot more power than I feel like you should probably give to a disruptor just in yeah. general because usually disruptors are more extreme, and you don't want someone they super extreme every to be every like once in a while. exactly. But there's more gravitational pull with people that are extreme like him, so it makes sense. What I noticed with Andrew Tate, people that like are around me that are like big Andrew Tate fanboys, is the fact that he. Kind of gave that whole victimhood mentality to dudes, which a lot of people don't really see, but that's what I saw because he was like, mm. you know, it's hard to be a dude. Dudes are yep. depressed at rates mm. that have never that's been such, seen before yep. and stuff like that. Mm. And guys are like, oh my God, and everybody.
1: Yeah. I don't I to say everybody what, wants
2: to be a victim, what, but a lot of it, people, it, it's easy to be a victim because then you have yep. an excuse. So people were like, okay, think- yeah, this sounds good. And then he's like, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And people are like, oh wow, that's cool. And yeah. everybody, every dude wants to be a hero. And he's basically into teaching me how to be it's a yeah. the fear, But you, I you think know?
1: he he offers some like solutions. I think he acknowledges like, ah, oh, things are tough. And I, I think you brought up an important point because I kind of struggle with, you know, talking to, you know, my audience of like young men and young women and saying like, you have it really bad. And this like society is so screwed up. But I, I try to make it pretty even. Talking about like the boy crisis. Because I also think that there is a huge like young woman crisis. Like, there's a reason why the majority of young people transitioning right now are girls. Like, there's a reason why like I think girls committing suicide at a young age is now above. I mean, it's like girls have so many issues. As like a young girl, I knew what it was like. I understand going through puberty and literally feeling like you don't belong in your body and what's going on and all of this stuff. Um, but I think only telling people that you are a victim and that people hate you is not the best and so i do think with things like andrew tate it was like i wish that he had offered more solutions in a way of like
2: all it was was like get, get rich you. buying my program oh, and well, also work out which is
0: great was, yes. get, get a six-pack
1: yes. that was very yeah, interesting I mean? yeah.
0: biased. So, but but it's
1: like I think go, good
4: but at I the mean, end of i the day, agree i agree <laughs> <laughs> go to the gym yeah. yeah go to
0: the gym and bring value yeah yeah
2: because but I, also get yeah. rich and get like a harem of women which I feel like (laughs) is like okay yeah it's like okay we could take what we want with the ideas that we want by making money
0: but by making money you're adding value in some way uh it can be you're being a
1: productive member of society it
0: could be it could bring a lot of purpose depending on what you're doing if you're adding value to somebody else Mm -hmm. could be setting goals I don't think money brings purpose but I'm saying if, say. if you're doing I think something the way of that value, you are making yeah. money. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. not the money itself, but like yeah. to bring value, you Unless have to be doing something to something society. Something. You have to be doing something of value, hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To do yeah. that.
2: No, I think that there are really good takeaways and really poor takeaways. For Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. But I think the best way that you said it was a disruptor, and I agree we need more of those because I think people get so caught up in this very polarized group think. Mm-hmm. I think if one person on, you know, other sides pops through and is like, I disagree with this, and it causes like massive whatever, mm-hmm. it starts conversations, whether or not that changes people's minds. I think polarizing figures like Joe Rogan is a great example, and he's somebody that's kind of wrote it really well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, of like he's unafraid to say things that are super controversial and have people on that are, you know, controversial and opening up those conversations and he'll say something every once in a while. People are like, oh my God but you like him so much now he's gained this audience and it's like okay you respect it but i think having those people pop up is so important for this culture where everybody is so terrified to say something that is out of line and it's like that isn't what it should be how do
0: you balance that though between maybe because you have a very uh big audience at Mm -hmm. this point a lot of people listen to what you have to say Mm -hmm. how do you balance your own thoughts and and think you know maybe i have some biases here yeah how do i present both sides Mm -hmm. Because my whole uh, thinking with, with my channel is mm-hmm. generally presenting both sides and letting yep. people come to their own decision and be like, here's for and against, you know, I kind of am somewhere in the middle, but I'll let you decide. Yep. How do you go about um,
1: that? I think for the most part I will try to explain my bias. And so, like, for example, if we're talking about drugs, mm-hmm. I will explain my family's history with that. If I'm talking about something like as a young woman where I have a personal experience, I will explain that and I try to be as personal as possible. And it obviously, like... I walk a fine line because, you know, I am a public figure now and so people, you know, get a lot of insight into my life, but you kind of have to draw that line of like, how far am I willing to take it? And I think the best way I've described it is like there's a point where like online Brett ends and like real life brett kind of continues mm-hmm. and I, you know, decide what I'm keeping private. But for the most part I try to be totally transparent so that people know exactly where my biases come from. Sure. Because if you don't if you don't know, then it's just me as like some idol telling you what to think. But if you understand how I have come to the conclusions that I have come to that is the thing that I respect in listening to the people you know that I listen to. Yep. So for instance, when I'm listening to Ben, understanding his religion and his values and his culture makes so much sense. And it's like, oh, I, I, I relate to you, I understand. Obviously, I don't relate because I'm not a Jew, but it's like, I can understand how you have come to this conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that creates more of a human-to-human connection, which is always what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. It's like appealing to emotion. Um, and then also, I always try to leave people with a more empowering message and so maybe that makes me you know I'll you know land on one side or the other but I will usually try to land with the thing that does you know make people most empowered and makes them turn against a victim mentality mentality mm-hmm. sure and so if there's an opportunity to present that it's less about politics and more about you know as i've said before you are deserving of more you can do more and you are holding yourself back if you are claiming that you are oppressed nine times out of ten in this society it is because you are doing it yourself whether that is like physically or your mindset and that is something that i don't think should be political it sadly has become political anymore mm-hmm. and so if i can encourage my audience to just push themselves even more then i would do that but i think with the biases Part of it, it's just explaining my own.
0: And how often do you change your opinions on something? Because you're Um, mentioning debates a lot. Yeah. um, At at what point, or maybe give us some examples of mm -hmm. sometimes where you've debated and come away from it, being like, you know what, they have some great points. Mm -hmm. I agree.
1: I think drug legalization has been one that I've like struggled with because I came probably, you know, in the last few years, I think I've become more pro uh, or I guess more anti drug legalization, Mm -hmm. even though I had my own, you know, family's history with it. As I just learned more about the impacts of, you know, legalizing it, what happened, the impact on other people outside of my own bubble, because I was just kind of thinking of it in my family's bubble. And so I thought that's probably not the best way to look at it. Um, And being around people who, you know, have differing opinions and I've, you know, tried to debate people who are, you know, not pro-legalization and I I just kept falling short. Um, I was like, okay, so maybe that is a sign, Um, especially when morally I kind of lean that way. But I think the biggest one was I used to be pro-choice. And I was... In my heart, morally, I knew that was something I could never do. That was never something I would do. I knew that it was objectively wrong. However, I always, you know, thought of it as there are two lives that are at stake here. Uh, we're talking about the mother. We are talking about the baby. And if I am somebody who is anti-government intervention, I don't want the government telling me what to do with my life, my body. Why do I have any say over what you know this woman is doing? And I don't know her life experience, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Um, but then I'm just leaving this unborn child. With no whatever, so it was very very complicated for me. But as somebody who at the time I was a lot more libertarian, and I still think that I I probably lean a little bit more that way than a lot of people that I'm around. I have very conservative values, but I think I can fluctuate on that when it comes to how far I want to legislate that. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, then I got to UCLA and I started to see the pro choice people that I was around were not really just pro choice; they were pro abortion, and that was kind of when like Miley Cyrus did like the. Abortion cake and it was like literally celebrating abortion
0: But do you think maybe that you saw the extremes on that side? And that maybe a lot of people land somewhere else in the middle, but you just don't see yes, them. Yes. Yeah
1: um, And there are you know, the majority of people in this country, I believe You know would you know support abortion up to a certain point and they do believe that there need to be restrictions upon it So I know that there are people there who like understand that this cannot be you know extreme But as I'm thinking about it on a cultural level the fact that just in the last few years people getting so pro-abortion like they're so angry about this issue that they just take it to the extreme that they are like the media and i think that the media you know is a lot to blame for this Mm because they just stoke this fire over and over again and so i put a lot of the blame on them but it is you know creating this entire culture of people that whether intentionally or unintentionally are becoming so like just angry and pro killing something and it's like how did we get here from saying I just want autonomy to now the majority of the rhetoric that comes out about this is pro abortion. It's like the the Jessa Duggar story that just sure. happened a couple of weeks ago where she had a miscarriage and you know, the ten media outlets that covered it all said that it was an abortion. It was like, it wasn't. You just saw this woman crying on YouTube for 18 minutes about her miscarriage. That was a missed miscarriage. And she had to have a DNC to have the fetus removed because she did not pass it naturally. And you're saying that because she did that, it's an abortion, it was not. Mm-hmm. You're like, she's lying about it. It's like, so you're using this story, twisting somebody's personal experience for your agenda. And it's like, that's where I had a major problem with it. Sure. Um, but then it doesn't seem genuine. So I saw a lot of that at school. Um, I saw, you know, my sorority sisters who were on, like, abortion number two because they weren't on birth control and just saw it as kind of like a backup plan. Like, oh, yeah, you know, it's fine. I'll just use it as birth control. Um, and then the kicker for me was learning that my dad wanted me to be aborted. And that was, like, whew, Like, my parents' marriage – by the time that I was conceived was already over. My mom knew that she wanted a divorce. Wow. She stayed because of me. And we can argue whether that was a good thing or not a good thing. And we talk about that a lot, um, about what that would have changed in my childhood and that sort of thing. And I'm, you know, happy with how things turned out. But How did
0: you learn about that? Like, where did, that seems like I, a tough yes, so
1: thing to Yes, that was never ever told hear. to me. But I was calling my mom about abortion. And I was like, I'm just so conflicted right now. Because I was like, this is something I could never do. I I, like I I know that I could not I know that it's morally wrong and we are going back and forth and my mom is incredible at showing both sides of it. And so she would argue it, you know, kind of play devil's advocate. She would argue it from, you know, the perspective of the mother. She would argue it from, you know, over protection of the unborn child. All of this would go back Mm -hmm. and forth. What makes the most sense? I mean, she this is something she's changed her opinion on a lot because she used to be pro choice as well. But I mean, back and forth, back and forth hours of talking about this of like, I just don't. It's such a complicated issue. That deserves so much empathy and so much grace. And I think people on both sides of the political aisle just do not give it that. Mm-hmm. There's some people on the right as well who, you know, villainize mothers who have had abortions. I'm like, that's not freaking productive either. And there are so many people who literally do not think that they have another option. And it is our job to show that there is another option and to amplify, you know, the pregnancy centers and, you know, the resources that are available to you because they, you know, outnumber abortion clinics. They actually, like on paper, they do. And, you know, you can have these resources. Um, and so, anyway, that's just a whole aside, but we would go back and forth, back and forth, and I was like, I just don't know I and I was really torn up about it. Um, and she was like, I'm going to, you know, be very personal with you. And she was like, when, you know, we found out that I was pregnant, um, Mike wanted you to be aborted. And she was like, we knew our marriage was over. This wasn't obviously planned at all. Um, and he was like, I want you to make an appointment and go. And she was like, that totally changed my mind, because she said, I had not even considered that this would impact me personally I was a mother of three Mm
3: -hmm.
1: that would never be a concern of mine and she said having like a life inside of me and being told that like I would end that she was like after going through multiple pregnancies and like in that moment feeling I knew that that was never anything that I could do and I think then her perspective shift shifted because for her it had always been about the rights of the mother and she was like like this is somebody that you know is the most vulnerable person in our society who literally has no autonomy that is fully dependent on this other person. And I think that is where her perspective shifted. Um and for me making it very very personal it was just like okay yeah. that's you know it no, did a lot. Yeah, um, don't you
0: think saying that though would would mm-hmm. automatically push you to one side like that? You mm-hmm. can't get more personal than that. I, I don't think like. so
1: because a lot of people <laughs> will say like I you know I you know They've had an abortion and they still support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was watching a video at one point and a girl was like, yeah, my parents almost awarded me. I wish that they had did. It probably would have been better for my mom and that kind of thing. So I know that there are people who have different responses and sure. maybe they are already predisposed to that opinion. That's fair. Um, but as somebody who was already predisposed to that pro-choice opinion, it was interesting. That that's just like flipped me. <sighs> Do you, over. But you I wish also, you
0: hadn't heard that?
1: I don't think so, no. Okay. Because I think it gave me... A lot more empathy for my mother for what she was dealing with at the time with my father. Um, it obviously created another fraction with my dad's and my relationship. That's water under the bridge now. And we've talked about it. And, you know, he would never have, you know, suggested that now. And he was in, he came from a place of fear and anger and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I'm glad that I did because it gave me a greater perspective about, you know, the way I was raised, the dynamic. I've had a lot of confusions, you know, with the re- my relationship with my dad. And I just didn't understand a lot of stuff. And I think that you know as i got older the transparency that my mom you know gave me about my family and being able to like i wasn't really shielded from a lot and some people would say that that was a bad thing mm-hmm. but i think that it was a, it forced me to grow up quickly but it also like i knew what to expect in my family i understand why i am the way i am because of my family like none of that was hidden from me um so no i don't i'm not upset that i learned that got it yeah
2: what do you think is the biggest threat to humanity right now
1: oh gosh ourselves People's How mindset, do you mean? People's mindset.
2: What, what about their mindset?
1: Um, I would say people are so desperate to be, I've said it a lot today, but they are so desperate to be victims. And I think that they are like, as a society, we're holding ourselves back whether Mm. that is you know and i think a lot of the victimization is fueled by a desperate need for attention because victims get attention
0: you know what i think it's acceptance because Mm -hmm. it's easier to be a victim and other victims love to uh, wallow in misery so what is it misery loves company so when when you're upset and you could gossip with Mm -hmm. someone else and say this sucks and blah 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 and go back and forth you feed Mm -hmm. on that and you feel like i'm not alone and i had that feeling of just like yeah exactly Mm -hmm. i feel like that's as you begin to get more successful it becomes harder and harder to find those connections yeah
1: exactly and i but i will say i do think attention is part of it because we've seen that like the marginalized communities that say that they're marginalized, they get a lot of attention. It pays to be an activist. It's like that sort of thing. And so I don't, I don't think that that is the case for everybody because obviously not everybody ends up making money in that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are a few examples that glorify it. where People are like, oh, this is cool. Like I will get the attention. I will get this community. I will be affirmed. I will be accepted into this because I'm not alone. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, very, you know, hurting people. Um, and I think that as a society we have, you know, allowed that mentality to take prevalence mm. and so if I could leave you know people with one message is that you know <laughs> it being empowered is the most like freeing thing that you can do for yourself saying I don't care what other people think is the most freeing thing that you can do for yourself being self-reliant there was literally no better feeling like me walking on the street knowing that I can beat somebody up because I did years of self-defense that I like carry a gun that I'm totally self-reliant I don't depend on you know a family mommy and daddy's my anything like that mm-hmm. that I am total it's like the most empowering thing in the world and Mm. there's literally no better feeling and it's like why would I sacrifice that just to be like accepted by a group of people that is also like down in the dumps and not productive and not Yeah. yeah. so I would say I think it's ourselves interesting and also elites and government toying with our lives i would say i would okay. say it's like at the very sure. base level of society because we push ourselves like forward as a sure. culture but i also do have to admit you know there are people that do not have our best interests at heart because all they want to do is make more money and be more corrupt sure. and have more power Well,
0: that's why i think it's important to teach objective thinking yeah. i would love a common sense class just yeah. like taught in school like this is yep. this is bad this is good but make common sense choices yeah you yeah and just just pick like like we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier picking and choosing like the bits and pieces that you identify yeah. with I think is really important and
1: I think that people overlook the importance of like logic classes and ethics classes and I'm so grateful that I took those in college the one of the most important classes I ever took also was political philosophy mm. understanding where my opinions come from on a philosophical level was so important to me, having to advocate. Like I remember having to write a paper in support of Marx, which is like the farthest thing that I could have ever like done, but having to get into that mindset and understanding like on a human level, why are they driven in this way? What were the benefits of this ideology and having to learn all that, seeing every single slide, especially if you have a really good professor, I did all of those classes at community college. It was (laughs) exceptional, Hmm. but I did logic, I did ethics, I did political philosophy, and then I did a couple of other like political theory classes. They were incredible because I had to do every single side. But I was also in a good situation where, you know, they also had people like Nozick pop up, who was like the father of libertarianism. We talked about Ayn Rand and like her, you know, philosophy behind, so I was getting both sides. And I had to advocate for and against things that I like loved and believed and things that I hated.
0: That's the one class I wanted to take was debate. Yeah. Because I feel like that's such a useful thing to know.
1: Yeah. And debating is a skill. Yes. Because even if your idea might trump somebody else, like...
0: If you can't uh, communicate that to no. another person... Yeah, like, yeah. I know you're
1: going to meet with Hassan Piker. He's an incredible debater. Because he's yeah. fast.
0: What
2: do you think is more important in debate? Do you think it's the actual stuff that's coming out of your mouth? Like the words, the the, the, transli- the transcript? Or do you think it's the, the ability to use rhetoric?
1: It's the ability to use rhetoric. I would say... Like, my opinion isn't necessarily, like, swayed because I will always try to – I don't think that my opinion, like, quickly changes in debate. But I think who you determine, like, wins, I think most people pick and choose who wins a debate because of the rhetoric, not because what's said. I think when you're writing, yeah. I think that's a different thing because it's so much slower. But when you are back and forth and back and forth with somebody, it is the ability to be very, mm-hmm. very nimble with your diction. hmm and there's a reason why it's like literally a skill
0: yeah and confidence i feel yes. like if you go yeah, in with yeah. confidence and you don't take anything personally and mm-hmm. you remain objective mm-hmm. um that's what i think does it whoever yeah. sounds more confident in their belief i think yeah. generally and, and doesn't it doesn't take any bs and right doesn't,
1: and doesn't give in and that's why it's like i might be a terrible debater because i'm always somebody who's like oh yeah tell me more like mm-hmm. oh i'm like you let yeah. me understand <laughs> See, and i always go in thinking and that like, oh, i could I be wrong yeah. yeah
0: i just think like hey i'm open-minded to a lot of yeah. things And I'm okay to change my opinion if it's wrong. Yeah. So, like, I'll hear the other side and be like, you know what? There's some good points in that. Like, I'm open to it. Yeah. So, I'd be a terrible debater.
1: Yeah.
2: I want to hear more about your anti-porn
0: stuff. (laughs) Oh,
3: God. All All right. All
1: right. right. Here we go. Um, I also think that porn is one of the things that is destroying my generation. Why is it so bad? Um, Okay. So... First of all, with the porn industry, we know that, like, it is fueled by criminal activity. I mean, the sex trafficking industry is, like, funneled through porn. Pornhub is dealing with, I mean, at this rate, 10 plus 15 lawsuits. Um, Children being molested, put on the site. It's just, it is a breeding ground for terrible behavior. Um, For women, I think we are fed this lie um, whilst that you can, as women, I think we are fed this lie that you can have this super happy and productive and like fulfilling life by just selling your body. Um, it will not be that way. You look at the mental health of sex workers, you look at the mental health of you know porn stars, it's not good. There's like the one percent, like on OnlyFans, who makes you know they make millions of dollars and mm-hmm. they're great, and that you know will sustain them whenever they stop doing this kind of work. But for the majority of them, it is a terrible 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 industry I'm
2: gonna play devil's advocate (laughs) yes and then very much devil's advocate. okay okay (laughs) yeah Graham's laughing yeah Uh, okay so I think a lot of people they Mm -hmm. fall into the porn industry because Mm -hmm. it's just like by happenstance I may as well do this I can make a good buck here hundred percent so I could see why that would probably not work very well mentally for people it's like falling into something where like you said selling Mm -hmm. your body but those that do intentionally move into the Mm -hmm. industry uh, and they know that that's something that they enjoy. Don't mm-hmm. you think in that situation? I guess you did allude to the 1% of people. Yeah, but-
1: if it works for you, then that's fine. And I I will never say to your face, like, you are lying to yourself about it. Because I'm sure that there's some people that just, like, genuinely don't care. And they mm-hmm. have a good experience with it. But I think on a whole, and looking at, like, the entire gender. Like, women are not, you know, and I, maybe this goes back to, like, coca culture and that kind of thing. But when you look at men and women... Men are biologically designed to go sow the seeds. There's a reason why you do not carry a child for nine months. For women, it's like I need to find this one specific partner. I can only be pregnant for nine months. Like, I can only carry basically, you know, I can only have one pregnancy at once. I have to protect these eggs. I only have, you know, a set amount of eggs that I'm, you know, created. Um, And so we are very, very protective over that. With men, you are literally designed to go repopulate the earth, literally. Uh, And so with women, there's a reason why, like biologically hookup culture and just sleeping with a bunch of people and leaning into that. And I guess, you know, porn is a little bit different, but still this like sex positive culture for women, I don't think it's healthy because it's going against how I believe we are literally biologically designed. Um, And I think for young men, it is allowing them to be complacent with just living online and not having real relationships. Like, the violence in marriages has, like, skyro... Also, I mean, has I'll just finish that thought and then go mm-hmm. into it. Um, but I mean, like, violence in relationships, domestic abuse, has, like, skyrocketed with the normalization of porn. Often in domestic abuse, like, often in domestic abuse situations, the man is, like, addicted to porn or has a history with it. Um, 52% of divorces in this country cite porn as an issue, which is just an insane stat. Um, but it makes sense, because if you're unhappy and you're trying to find fulfillment or pleasure somewhere else, you're going to go that way. Um, But I was reading this (laughs) Reddit post from this person. They were arguing the benefits uh, and the drawbacks between OnlyFans and Pornhub. And they were arguing that OnlyFans was better. And one of the arguments for OnlyFans being better was because they were subscribing to an individual girl and they could create this like parasocial relationship with her. And it's like, it feels better because I'm not really objectifying her. And we have a relationship, we can chat and I can feel better. It's like go out into the real world and ask a girl on a date like porn is allowing young men to stay in front of their computers and not strive for anything else like overuse of porn over the masturbation it fucks with your hormones like biologically it has impacts mentally uh men who are porn addicted uh who even just are not even porn addicted but watch copious amounts of porn are mentally very very unhealthy like it is not natural um and it's just like and then on top of it with the industry being so dangerous it's like why is this something that we have just become you know so accustomed to and it's happened really fast like my mom and I were talking about it my producer um Matt Scheller who never uh uh, but my former producer doesn't work here anymore he was in his 40s we were talking about like with he and my mom where if you wanted to watch adult content 40 years ago 30 years ago you had to go to a theater and you had to watch you know you with a lot of people like mm-hmm. there was a reason why i'm forgetting um who the actor was that was, like, arrested for masturbating in a theater, like, in an adult film. Or then later on with, like, Blockbuster and that sort of thing, you had to go into, like, the adult section, mm-hmm. and you, you know, mm-hmm. were in public renting it out and that sort of thing. But it has become more and more private, where now it is literally on your phones. You can do a quick Google search. It is so at people's fingertips that there is now not really a stigma around it. Women are almost, like, encouraged to go into it in a lot of ways. You look at, you know, things online. You see girls that you're were making millions, you know basically objectifying themselves and, you know, selling their bodies is almost appealing. With men, it's become so commonplace. You know, boys start seeing porn when they're like 13 years old. I saw porn for the first time when I was, I think, probably 14 or 15. Um, It's just, it's become so normalized so quickly. And that is like the most shocking thing to me. Um, And I also think in a similar way as we were talking about like the culture around smoking weed, I do think that there's like a culture around young men who just sit in their homes and they just watch porn
2: i do agree i think the accessibility to porn yeah. is the real issue porn itself mm-hmm. i don't know if that's like a huge issue if guys mm-hmm. know exactly what they're doing and they're very intentional about it and yeah. the girls that go into the business are very intentional mm-hmm. about going to the business and they feel pride with what they do i
4: yeah. feel like there's
0: probably no problem with that mm-hmm. uh well i would say there is a problem with with sex trafficking for sure yeah
4: well yeah uh, yeah
0: i think now porn don't they verify ids
1: you can still get around that's still like I mean, Netflix this, is about to drop a whole documentary, I think, next month, literally just about the sex trafficking part of I mean, part the of trafficking, porn objectively. Yeah, yeah. of yeah. course. That, that's
2: that's yeah. a bad part. I'm just talking about um, the theory of porn itself.
1: Yeah, but something that's crazy to me is that laws are just now being put in place where you have to verify your age to get on Pornhub. Like before it was like you could just put in any birthday Hmm. and get on and watch it. States are just now rolling out you need to verify. Like if I was verifying my student discount on Spotify, putting in a student ID, whatever.
0: Imagine a data breach. Like if we can't trust Equifax. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah there's there's lists you, you don't want to expo- mm-hmm. imagine going through the list yeah and just like True. you know yeah. control f and like what, how are they
2: going to check ids and everything like you submit you scan, a photo it. Of your- you scan it wow
1: and so and then there's the debate that a lot of people will agree that porn hub and sites like porn hub is objectively bad because they do not protect their creators um it's dangerous it's just slipped up one too many times so people say like OnlyFans is better OnlyFans was not created as a like adult content site it was created as like patreon without any kind of like content regulations they are not a sex site and they're very very mm. clear about that so they do not have any protections in place for their creators well
0: i thought that would the, the way around that was for their banking by saying like hey we don't just mm. focus on this we allow anything and yeah. that's the, one of the ways around how they can get like lines of credit and a bank yep. account and stuff like this. exactly
1: but also they were started initially it was during covid that it blew up as like a sex site because sex workers like escorts didn't have jobs during COVID, mm-hmm. so they created only fans and people think that it is safer because of that or that it's like feminist porn because the women are producing it themselves but it is often more dangerous because there are no regulations on the site because it is not an adult site so only fans has no way to report if like there's some guy that's trying to pimp you out they do not have many verification things there's all of these studies mainly in the uk of looking at kids who have gotten on to only fans as creators or as consumers because their age verification you can submit an id that is not yours and still get an account <laughs> so if you could like mm. wonder with this like story of a girl who used her aunt's id made in only fans and it's 17 or 16 years old was doing only fans content and then got exploited like some crazy guy like found her and like a bunch of stuff so they just do not have those protections so like if the industry itself is not even safe like i understand like you have a right to do whatever work you want to devil's advocate, think,
2: devil's advocate. yeah
1: exactly yeah <laughs> but i don't think that one i don't think it's healthy for society as a whole i don't think that that's doing anything good for any of us but it's like i get well, it if you know you want to that's your well product, let's say what so about
0: dangerous. what about prostitution because the, mm. don't well, they say on, that's, that's on, the, okay all right all right let's go back go back to, all porn. Yeah. Let's go back to <laughs> porn okay, <very> passionate <laughs> yeah. okay. So, yeah. is it the culture of porn itself mm-hmm. or is
2: it porn in general it's both so uh,
1: it, like I, I agree, is, I think, I think the culture
2: around porn yes is, ex- yeah. is extremely toxic mm-hmm. and it's very bad mm-hmm. probably a, an objective bad, right yeah let's take porn itself Okay, so like the with two videos. very intentional... No, no, no. Two very intentional people consenting into this whatever yeah. transactional relationship. Yeah. How is that bad?
1: Um, if they are doing that, then I guess that's fine. Like, if you want to make videos in your own home, I guess... Maybe it's the selling of it. I don't know. But I, what is
2: it exactly about the selling of it? Because mm, people sell their bodies in other ways.
1: That's very true. Um, I guess I, I think in my mind that goes back to the industry. Like, will there ever be a safe way to present that pornography. But if for there the was creators, yeah. then it
0: would probably be okay in the mind of Brett Cooper.
1: I think on a moral level I would still say no. But I think, I think you, I'm trying to understand I think of-
0: you value intimacy mm-hmm. and having something that's like you feel is protected and is yours yeah. and is, is sacred. Mm-hmm. I do too. And I think that's I, something I,
2: I 100% that- I value intimacy I yeah. value all of that stuff too but at the same time I'm very much the type where I don't want to be telling people that mm-hmm. know what they're going into what they should and shouldn't be doing. And that's where I think. I about think points. in
1: a perfect world, where it was totally safe. Maybe I can't give a solid answer because I still do not believe that it is a a good for society. I think people are on a whole negatively. It is a impacted. bad for society.
2: I would probably yeah. agree with that. Yeah. And also, just because the I culture think, is, it yes. trumps all.
1: And I think it's for the viewers, but also. I would look at the people who even if they are, you know, consenting individuals, I would still look at that and be like, you know, as Brett Cooper, I don't think you're making the right decision. Yeah. Like if I had control over your life, I would say do not do that. It is not gonna be healthy for you in the long run. Like you are literally blowing up your reputation. Yeah.
0: What's what's unhealthy about it? Do you because feel you're from from sullen... the actress's or actors' perspective? Yeah.
1: Um I guess I keep going back to number one, the industry is like very dangerous, but also on an emotional level. If you are just selling you think the most it takes tools like just after time yes yeah like okay. mental uh, mentally emotionally you are selling like the most biologically intimate thing that you can do, and you're putting like a price tag on like after that what else do you have to give? It's like you are literally breaking through every barrier like you have no privacy like this is the most intimate thing that you can do i like i will never say that that is objectively healthy
2: it goes against biology yes is what you're saying yeah Yeah. okay like
1: this is the most objectively private intimate thing that we are now like commercializing and selling i will never say that that could ever be healthy so
2: you would say biological truths are axiomatically correct
3: Mm
1: -hmm. morally yes
2: what did you just say I'm so lost on that <laughs> okay that's so, something so, I would actually kind of agree with t- yeah. to a certain extent okay so just so everyone knows yeah. okay because I feel like people are gonna st- gonna start thinking like oh Jack he's like this crazy porn yeah. guy whatever okay because uh, we've had two porn stars on the show before okay and people said that it looked like I fell in love with the porn stars <laughs> on the show <laughs> which is oh, not the man. case yeah. okay but that's like what the, what the viewers got basically <laughs> yeah, yeah. out of that I have a very intense stare yeah um, yeah well, you're I, listening
1: I, intently to yeah, their, yeah.
2: I, I do but like I, I um I agree porn mm-hmm. culture is extremely yeah. dangerous and I think porn itself if you're just taking two consenting people I think that's probably fine I'm yeah. not this crazy porn person in case of you guys watching you're wondering okay <laughs> I don't even watch porn yeah. I, I will say openly uh. I used to watch porn mm-hmm. and you know this Graham I don't watch porn anymore no yeah. and I've found my, my and that's life,
1: incredibly admirable
2: thank you it's very very hard to do it's I, also
1: very very rare to find men that will openly say that
2: that you used to watch porn or that you quit porn yeah both Oh, okay.
1: But yeah, that you like used to, and that you quit, or that you like actively don't. It's, That's very rare. And I'm somebody that like brings it up. I'm like, so let's talk about that. And it's like, hmm.
0: <laughs> see, I feel neutral. Like I, I, just don't care either way. I, I think, <laughs> I think if two if two people are consenting and they're not hurting anybody, I'm yeah. all for it. Right. I think there's a place for it. I think there's a marketplace. I think for there's it. a market for it. But you if you also we go have back to, think to yeah, on the side of the consumer, some
2: people
1: you are get able rid to of perfectly. The market, if you get rid of, like, the audience then, for it, But then it's going to go
0: underground. Like, then, then there's going to be something else no, that no, pops up. No, no, I was oh, yeah. meaning,
1: like, making it illegal or whatever. Yeah. But if, like, the culture changes and we start to kind of, like, you know, in a similar way to how, like, sobriety is very, very cool now. Like, there's all of these, like, mocktail bars that are opening up yeah. and that sort of thing. It's like if the culture starts changing around it, around it the market starts but changing. But I still
0: think that's such a small subset. Yeah. Like, the I mocktail mean, industry, I mm-hmm. think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Macy was even, she ordered a mocktail. for the I, I had no idea those things mm. existed and I tried it. It yeah. was actually really cool. Like, I, I like it, but I see these these changes. But I mm-hmm. think it's such a small part of the market. Like
1: what? 10%? I, still have, yeah, yeah. 5% I still have hope for that because I still see it as like a productive change. Mm-hmm. I still see those people as people that are going out and having conversations in their community and maybe changing minds or you know opening yeah. people up to a new thing. And I think that that's exciting. But I do put a lot of fault on the consumers because if there was not such a porn culture and consumption of porn. There would not be a market for it. People would not go into it thinking that it was some kind of everything you should. Because
0: the, isn't that the oldest profession? Don't they call that?
1: I think so. Yeah, I would say I don't, I don't so isn't support that, but isn't that, prostitution. But, I know, but isn't <laughs> yeah. that
0: similar on a similar way? Yeah, but just because that, it's existed like, for a long time doesn't that, necessarily make it. But I feel like yeah. that, that should also be legal. I mean, if two okay, consenting adults are, are wanna enter into a business arrangement. Mm. I actually, I probably agree prostitution should be legal. Yeah, and
2: mm-hmm. this you probably disagree with this, mm-hmm. but I just think people, you know, give them the right to do whatever they yeah. want that, for the most part. Yeah. I think in a that safe place, the of course.
1: again, I always go back to the industry around it of like and maybe yes, and course, maybe the, the argument industry. that it's like that you know, it's legal and there's more, you know, protections and all of that stuff maybe it could be a different thing, but I yeah. just because something has been around for a long time or has been done in my mind does not make it yeah. right or morally right. So I look at that and I still think that I don't think that people You know should be doing I don't think that that's The healthy thing to do Would I legislate that? I don't know That's why I would never Be a politician Because I like to be able To have nuanced conversations I think I would be In a terrible position But I I do believe That it is unhealthy For people I believe that You know Selling your body Is unhealthy Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that Paying for sex Is unhealthy Mm -hmm. And so I will like Never advocate For something Yeah I would say It's
2: unhealthy But technically In the bigger picture When you consider The entire timeline Of humanity Mm -hmm. Slavery Has only not existed For a very short period Of time
1: just and because that's something crazy is crazy to yeah, think yes. about, exactly. and it still does exist in many countries. Oh, yes. of course. Yeah. 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 So
2: I will say this though. I just want to make sure we wrap this up, okay? If you guys want to quit porn, I would encourage it. I saw my life improve, and I I, I want to openly Why? say this because it's an uncomfortable conversation. Because I know my grandma watches this. Hopefully, she's not gonna be tuned hey, in gigi. this long. Say, gigi, say, gigi. Say, say hi, Gigi. Yeah. Um, say hi, Gigi. Hello, Gigi. My dad sometimes <laughs> watches. Sorry, Dad. Um, but yeah, I don't watch porn, and I've saw my life extremely like drastically improve. And yeah. the way that I saw it improve. I don't want to go into too much detail, but mm-hmm. mostly I think that I stopped seeking like instant gratification with certain things. And yeah. I, I started seeing the world through a lens of like, okay, I'm in this for the long haul. I want to find someone. I want to like settle down. So you and- do you felt like that was holding you back from finding somebody? It definitely made me so much less motivated to try to find someone. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah,
1: because you got that instant gratification. Exactly, and then you're like, good. "Why would you need to have yeah. a real life woman? Yeah, it's just like you have a nice okay,
2: we're good for the day. Let's or whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever <laughs> interval of time it was. Okay, the I'm not hour. disclosing too much right here. Yeah, we're good for the minute. No, and uh, that's
1: and that is the experience of a lot of men. And if you look at like the studies, yes, about you know especially men, but it's interesting now because there's so many more women that but, are you know. But here's the thing. Porn.
0: my argument on that is mm-hmm. boredom when you're bored, you look for things to do. When you're working and mm-hmm. you're- Oh, that's the ma- most dangerous onset, one, yeah. is when it gets to boredom. And I don't mind. That, But I'm saying, but if someone is, is like on a mission and mm-hmm. they have stuff to do and they're busy mm-hmm. and they're working and they're doing something productive, that's not something you think about. It's it's mm-hmm. like when you're bored, there's nothing to do. Well, boredom, I will like, say,
2: the contrarian opinion right here, I think boredom is actually extremely productive. And I think during boredom, mm-hmm. when you're in solitude and you're like not being like-
1: Allowing kids to be bored is I think one of the like- A hundred percent. Yeah, being really? exposed I to like technology it. And all no. that
2: stuff i think being bored is extremely powerful
1: it forces you Very to like good. create your own fun yeah and that's
2: introspect I mean. and like question your beliefs which i think people just don't do nowadays yeah. and i think that's like one of the biggest problems open-mindedness and questioning your own beliefs absolutely i don't know i hate boredom <laughs> I, I i just think a lot of this well, could be distilled down don't think down I like, to like i don't think it's it, like people love boredom like i don't think it's necessarily something to love but i would
0: say like it yields yeah I just mm-hmm. think a lot of this can be taken down to when when someone has stuff to do, they're mm-hmm. less likely to partake in things that are maybe not the most productive for them. I think it's a symbiotic symbiotic relationship where, like,
2: both if you obviously like if you're occupied all the time, you're working all the time, probably not going to do this. But at the same time, if you refrain from this, it's probably going to somehow translate back to more work ethic and motivation and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: What questions do you have for us?
1: Oh my gosh, um, I would say. I guess right off the bat for something that's not political. I'm just interested mm-hmm. in your hottest take.
0: I think I'm so like in the middle of so many things. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any extremes on either end. that's wild honestly i <laughs> I just like people that as long as they don't hurt anybody I everybody be if adding. you're if <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> open thinker if you're an yeah. open
2: thinker with nuanced opinions, you have to have some sort of opinion because the masses are not open oh, yeah, sure. open minded not a I'm not a fan of rank
0: control. I think we need to build more property
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean. I should- that's
0: crazy no, i hate rent control yeah I, I don't like i'm all for people doing what they want to do like that that's it like fiscally i'd say we could you know cut back and we could you and know that's be also smarter, like very be smarter sense with the fact
1: that that's like controversial these days is wild to me it's like you don't. it takes like two percentage of a brain to see like we are yeah. mm-hmm. in a terrible terrible situation yeah. But yeah all right, let me think of some other ones that are less <laughs> controversial for you. Depression
2: meds and anxiety meds are overprescribed.
1: Yeah, that's also an I do extremely well.
2: unpopular opinion. And I also, Jack. Think people have, I also think people have way more control over their life than they think. So that's also an extremely unpopular uh, opinion. I also think
1: opinion. that ADHD is overdiagnosed I over-medicated. 100% agree. and overmedicated. I 100 I mean, that's, yep. and I think it's screwed up an entire generation. I was
2: diagnosed with ADD and I took uh, Adderall. Yeah. For like two years.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think hormonal birth control is bad, and I don't think women should be on birth control.
2: I don't know anything about that.
1: It's terrible <laughs> Why is it? um well it's chemical birth control so you know doctors will tell you like oh we can you know help your acne we can do all this we'll regulate your cycles but they don't actually regulate your cycles oh. being on the pill all it does is like chemically disrupt your hormones and stop like needed hormones for your body not just for your reproductive cycle but for your full like mental well-being as a woman it will be disrupted by that. It's artificial. It is chemical long-term effects. Like a lot of women have a lot of, you know, problems getting pregnant after being on birth control for a long time. It changes who you are attracted to because your pheromones are different. Um, and your hormones are all screwed up and we are naturally so attracted to people based on our biology. And when that is like chemically altered, that takes a toll. Um, different kinds of birth control. I mean, obviously we see the impact, like how does a pill cause you to like, you know, gain so much weight, change so much about your body, your periods just stop. Like, our periods are not supposed to just stop. Like, that shows a serious imbalance. If you are like an unmedicated, not on hormonal birth control, and your cycles are unregulated or you, know, you are like not regular. Like, that's a problem that you go to like a hormone specialist and you fix it because you want to be like that. Is but don't they have to the, to the, the, thing. Biological the biological truth.
4: hormonal? They do. So like the
1: copper IUD is probably the most popular one. Um, but that I recently learned because I've, you know, have a lot of friends on that. Um, the way that that works is that it, you know, they usually say just keeps it from going in it, you know, gets the sperm away, that kind of thing. It actually makes the uterus an inhospitable environment for any kind of sperm and any kind of pregnancy. It is a inflammation of the uterus, but that inflammation is not localized. So when you have a copper IUD, your entire body is inflamed constantly because you have a piece of metal in you. Mm. And so it's full inflammation, uh, which is why a lot of women say that they have like, you know, they struggle with mental health after, you know, having that. There's a reason why your periods get super heavy. I mean, you get awful PMS, makes it really, really bad. Usually your iron gets depleted when you have one because you are losing so much blood more than you need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does not stop fertilization. And that's the thing that like, woke me up is that you can still have a fertilized egg and then you have like it, what you know was often described to me it was like kind of a spontaneous abortion of like it just does not allow the egg to stick
3: mm-hmm.
1: um and so that isn't great either obviously I would probably say that that's better than like a hormonal thing that's like screwing with your hormones but it's still like there really isn't a great option okay. but I do think that we do not talk to young women enough about and I say this as a young woman who did not learn any of this about how to regulate your cycle naturally Because there are things that, you know, you can eat. There are toxins that we are ingesting and interacting with that screw with women's hormones. We should all be very regular. Like, that is how we are naturally designed so that you can literally track, you know, those 28 days. and know exactly when you're ovulating and you can only get pregnant for three to five. You know, it's really just three days in that cycle. And, you know, even if that's not like a 99%, but if you are religiously tracking, if you use other forms of protection, like it's very, very secure. But we don't even teach girls that. Like they don't even know where to start. When I started learning this, I had no clue where to turn because that was never even presented as an option Mm -hmm. to me or something that was so like scientifically modern. Like the FDA has now approved like natural cycles as an actual form of birth control now. Hmm. It's the only actual non-hormonal, non-invasive form of uh, birth control. And so I would say that I think hormonal birth control is bad. I don't think non-hormonal is much better, even though it's probably better for a lot of people. And I have friends that have had great experiences with the copper IUD. But I just think we need to better equip women Mm. because you literally have no idea how your body works. I had no idea about the hormones that I go through every single month. I had no idea about any of my cycle and the fact that it is so scientific down to the day Hmm. that you can regulate it.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I want to know what your most hot take is. I want to see if there's a thing we can disagree on so we can have some sort of like
0: quasi-debate
1: um i'm anti-death penalty
0: i could go either way on that
1: morally i do think that there are some offenses that i would be you know like child rape and that sort of thing i'm like castrate the fuck out of you like i do not care yeah but the way that the system is set up i wouldn't i'm anti because of that like yeah. there are so many you know cases where even if in one case they ruled it wrong and we took a life like, why do we have, like, why are we allowed to play God? Why is a, a jury or a judge allowed yeah, to play Yeah, I would God? say life
0: is the most precious thing. Oh, yeah. I saw a TikTok someone. on that. It was so sad. The kid mm-hmm. uh, was put to the death yeah. penalty. I think he was like 16 yeah. years old, 17 years old. And then they found out like 40 years later, he was innocent. Oh, yeah.
2: that's like a substantial
1: statistic. A, yeah. 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 And and also one thing that I think really struck me is that a lot of people say that it's cheaper but it's not because oh, you have it's to go through years and years and the know, litigation, too. And the victim's family has to keep coming back. Yeah, Like, imagine, you know, something awful happens to your child, your loved one, whatever, and you have to keep going back year after year after year, testifying, doing all of this. It's like, at that point, I like I just want to get on with my life. Mm-hmm. Put them behind bars for life. Oh, how
0: about this? How about mm-hmm. assisted suicide? How do you feel on that? I'm anti it. Anti?
1: Yeah. Why? And I just, oh, God. So I'm looking at what is happening in Canada right now and it's happening to the most vulnerable population. So we were talking about like the mentally ill on the street. They're, you know, going up to these people and that's kind of, that's their solution right now is that, oh, if you're so mentally, if you're, if you are so unhappy, here's this, you know, state assisted suicide. It's like, that's your best option. But,
0: but you go for that. What if someone is terminally ill?
1: I think that's a totally different conversation. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. I think so if you are, the
0: legality of assisted suicide, not necessarily the culture of it, yeah. but the
2: legality of it in general, like, do you support the theory of it?
1: Um, I think if somebody was terminally, terminally ill, I think that would be the only time that I would be morally okay. for it or, and okay. like think that it was like legally, you know, maybe okay. I think that would be very hard as like the family member that was watching that or being involved. I don't think, I don't know how I would react to that, but I also know people who are, you know, there's no other way and they want to go, you know, at their own, especially like older people who it's like, I don't want to suffer anymore. Mm-hmm. I can understand that argument, but what really bothers me is that like people are touting this around. It's like, oh, we're, you know, we're helping all these people, you know, all these homeless people, you know, they don't really have like a point to live. And it's like that, that's your option. You know, we're talking about like, what do we do for this, you know, vulnerable population? How do we clean up our streets? How do we make it safer? And it's like, this is what Canada is trying to do. And it's, you know, and I'm looking, I see the videos of people who, you know, have been offered assisted suicide and it's like, some of them were talking and, you know, they were saying, like, if this had been offered to me like a year prior, I would have taken it. And then mm-hmm. over the last year, like, my life has gotten so much better. I finally, you know, took the leap and mm-hmm. I, you know, made all these changes. It's like, that's terrifying to me. But again, yeah. it's less of like somebody else playing God, but it's like, we're offering that to people as this, like, Right, right, as it's an like, out. That's, yes. I don't think that that's like a cop-out mentally me, tra- the government. To mentally ill yes.
2: people as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's like, that feels like taking advantage of them. And if that's the best you can do, then I have a real problem with that. Keep trying. Yeah.
2: Come up with some. No, I mean, keep trying. Because yeah. I still. Yeah. What is the goal of going into political commentary? Is it to mm-hmm. strengthen the base of the conservative population mm-hmm. or is it to share your opinion and hope to be heard and understood by the other side, of the liberals, and maybe change their opinion?
1: I think it can be both. I don't think it needs to be either or. I was talking about this actually on a live stream yesterday. Um, I think a lot of conservatives get themselves caught up in trying to change people's minds when I think back to you know me feeling very alienated as you know a college student sharing my opinions you know losing friends that sort of thing somebody speaking directly to me and saying your opinions are not crazy there are people that you know think like you and being empowered and being told it is okay to speak up and you know having somebody that is unwavering in their values and I think Matt Walsh is somebody who is incredible at that because he does not bend at all he is not somebody that's like, I'm not going to like find, he like says it, I'm not going to find common ground with you because most of the stuff that he talks about is in regards to like his children's lives and like that kind of thing. He will not waver. And I think he is incredibly empowering, especially to his audience of parents. Of like getting them to speak up and say it is okay to defend your children in this way it is okay to have this opinion there are others like you and i think if we forget the base and if we are consistently just trying to like spend all of our time going out and reaching everybody else and it's like what happens to everybody you know here so i think you kind of have to you know i think it's important on both sides i i would i like to try to do both in my content um And I think that the manner in which I speak and the topics that I speak about make it more palatable for people who disagree with me. And I like that. I like okay. the fact that I look at my comments and I see people disagreeing, but in a healthy way. It's like the most inspiring thing to me. And people having like healthy conversations at a YouTube comment section is absurd. And I'm like, that's actually very, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, and I like the fact that I see comments where somebody says, you know, I'm like more center left and I actually relate to you on some things and I've learned a lot. Even though I disagree with you on things, I, you know, I find your content enjoyable. It's like, that's a huge win for me. But I also look at comments and at the same level, seeing like a 16 year old kid who's like, I, you know, live in Los Angeles. Everybody thinks differently than me. I feel so alone and I hear your content and I feel empowered not to feel scared to talk about my beliefs. That's a huge win because Mm -hmm. I was that kid and I felt like I was totally alone and like everybody around me was crazy and I literally, I did not know who to look up to. And if I can be that for somebody else, then that's also a win for me.
2: See, the problem that I see with some of the leaders of the conservative and the liberal Mm -hmm. movements is the fact that they are so aggressive to yeah. the other side, and it's like constantly shooting down the other side. Yeah. And I feel like if you actually really wanted to make some grounds, it's and uh, hopefully transfer some people mm-hmm. or open up the other side's perspective, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't be so aggressive, but come from more of a place of like compassion and understanding. Yep. And that's the one thing that I just I can't seem to get over as a viewer because I watch Ben Shapiro yep. and I also watch Destiny and yep. I watch on and I watch you mm-hmm. and I I see all of this stuff. I literally watch yep. from both sides, but that's the one pill I just simply cannot swallow. Yep. That frustrates the heck out of me when yep. I'm watching content like this. It's like if you really care about Mm -hmm. the end goal of achieving what you want to achieve and hopefully like if you really believe your ideology is better than the other one and you want this ideology to take power wouldn't the most effective and efficient way to get there Mm -hmm. to be hopefully transferring some of the people on the other ideology side over to your side therefore Mm -hmm. people people respond very poorly to criticism like negative criticism right at least uh, in a negative light right Mm -hmm. but they respond very very well to compassion and
0: understanding yeah and i feel like if the sides could Just have a little Mm -hmm. bit more compassionate understanding to the other side. I think pride's Pride's a a big part of it, though. Yeah, is imagine someone else comes at you and you're like, okay, well, maybe uh, you know they they had some points. You you do that, and then everyone questions. Well, what about everything else that you said? Yeah, maybe you're going to change those beliefs too. It's like if if you do that, you lose that. Exactly. So I think you do need to be
1: consistent. So I think the important thing to do is that I don't bend my values to appease anybody else. I don't change my opinions to appease anybody else, but I am very open with my audience. Like I, you know, I've talked about Dylan Mulvaney a lot. Who's the, you know, the transgender, um, person who like, you know, blew up on TikTok now has like 10 million is like Mm -hmm. a a transgender influencer. Talked about them a lot. Um, very, very controversial. And there's a lot of things they've said that I do not agree with, especially in regards to children, but. I am always very open about the fact that I like their personality, and I used to subscribe to Dylan's channel and you know Dylan's TikTok before you know he became she Dylan um, because I thought his content was hysterical and super funny, and he was like a great like this cute little gay guy and all of this stuff. And I and very few people on my side of it are willing to acknowledge that. But I've like I watched Dylan stuff for ages, like all throughout COVID, and I'm willing to say I still have that like fondness. And I wanna be compassionate for what Dylan is going through and that sort of thing. But I won't bend or change how I feel about the subject and about the ideas that they are sharing, but I will find a way to have some kind of human connection with the story that I'm talking about. Same way as if I'm like dealing with a celebrity, you know, I will say like, oh, I still like their music, whatever. Like, I will acknowledge the fact that I'm not so black and white, that mm-hmm. if I hate, like, a singer's, you know, ideology or things that they will say, yeah, I still really like her songs. Like, that's cool. Um, I am also unafraid to criticize my own side if we're being idiots about uh, something. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of that is just criticizing people for absurd stuff, like Emma Watson when she had that really unflattering photo of her taken back in the summer. People were like, this is what wokeism does to you. It's like, no, she's a 30-year-old woman who has not gotten any work done, which I thought that we were promoting, that we didn't want women to be, like, fake and whatever, She's natural. She got caught in a bad light and you're now slandering what was, her.
0: I've never seen the picture. I it was like that. her
1: like forehead was all like it was like huge on right wing Twitter. Really? And they were like, this is what woke, like wokeism does to you. And they would like put a photo of her from like 10 years ago what? and then photo here. And it was like that. Why are you spending your time debating that? Like you're attacking somebody who has done nothing right now. Obviously, we could have a conversation about Emma Watson's, you know, like hatred of JK Rowling, about her policies. But you're going after a woman's looks to have a quick dunk on Twitter and feel good about yourself. And I think being able to criticize your own side when they are genuinely mm-hmm. being good. stupid, I think that that humanizes you as well <laughs> so that you don't feel so polarized. Mm. Um, and I think the best people that I follow and the best mentors I have are willing to do that and are willing to say, you know what? This was actually a win on the left. They did a good job or something, you know, on the right of like, you, we royally effed up and this is not productive whatsoever. Because yeah. if you are so caught in just winning, 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 winning constantly at the expense of everything, especially winning – a quick like click or immediate hit or that kind of thing. It's like, what's the point? That's yeah. the
2: thing. Like I remember Ben Shapiro. Honestly, he kind of went viral and he built his entire career based off of like Ben Shapiro destroys like feminist you know, yeah, yeah, facts yeah, and sure. logic or something like that. And it's just like some kid walking up to the podium.
1: Yeah. Oh
4: <laughs> like,
2: gosh. You know, just completely boys. <laughs> My favorite
1: one yeah. was the uh, one kid said like, uh, "Well, how do you know Boy Scouts or, oh, or boys?" Yeah, he was like, "Because it's in the name." Yeah. Like it's like those moments. Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, but the only thing is, it's like okay, obviously for profit, like that makes sense as a business. Mm-hmm. You got to get the clicks and everything. But I just wish I'm like, look, he could say something like, look, understanding, you're coming from a place of hurt, mm-hmm. and it's probably not, and <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. something like this, and like feeling like he has compassion for the other person, yeah, because then you wouldn't have well. He probably still still would, maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Have these like hordes of people all showing up and like yep. protesting him when he goes to speak at these colleges because they want to like hear that. what he has to say, they want to hear those quick comebacks. So that's yeah. what they come, that's what they that's come what he's known for I, I know, but yeah. I feel like it's like 80 20. Like you still mm-hmm. get like 80% of the value when it's you still like because yeah. you listen to those clips, destroy them, but yeah. Yeah. And you hear
1: those like moments from his things. But if you like listen to like Ben's full, like four hour freaking show, yeah, it's totally different. So I think it is like. You know in those like quick debate things like that's the format of them and they're mm-hmm. supposed to be very very fast but when you hear him do his like his sunday special that he does is one of my favorite things because he usually brings people that he disagrees with and it's like a four-hour conversation mm-hmm. and it's the most like respectful like he re- he truly is compassionate and he's like the most digestible relatable person yeah. um and i think in that format but it's hard have, in
0: yeah have you thought about doing that with like, like bring, bring yeah bring someone possibly, on, yeah, who we're just, on like, like disagree like i would love to see that
3: mm-hmm.
1: Because I think that you know those conversations are not had very often, but also they're very difficult for short form stuff. They like really lend themselves to long form. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to spend you know over three hours with people, really diving into it, and that's what you know Ben Sunday specialist is hours and hours, and what Jordan Peterson does hours and hours mm-hmm. of speaking to people, but most people don't want to sit through and watch all of that, so they only see the clips and those viral moments, obviously. Yeah Bring fame and that sort of thing mm-hmm. But they're viral for a moment Or for a reason Right
2: I just do think That there could be a shift In general For mm-hmm. like Daily Wire or Other like liberal media companies mm-hmm. uh, To have a little bit more Compassion for the other side I think that there's a mm-hmm. Huge contingent of people Right in the middle mm-hmm. Still I know it's hard to believe Especially with like mm-hmm. How aggressive everybody is On each side And uh, the gravitational pull From each side But I think mm-hmm. there's still A lot of people in the middle and that could really be claimed mm-hmm. by other side if you just came with a little bit more compassion and uh, care for yeah. the other side.
0: I forget uh, how many people were in the middle, but it's like mm-hmm. 90% of people are in the middle, but yeah. the, the 10% on either side, they're the ones who really show up to vote. Yeah. yeah. And so you get like those people really getting together.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I agree with you. And that's something that I do try to do. And I think that that's something that shows through in my content. And I think that that's why most of my audience is younger because Gen Z wants that. Gen Z values like emotional connection and that sort of thing more. And there's a reason why I do make a very, very concerted effort to be human when I'm dealing with these stories. And they're all like very personal to me, especially when I'm dealing with like gender ideology and that sort of thing. Like if I get like emotional with the stories, it's because like these are all people I grew up with, like a majority of my friends from, you know, high school and that sort of thing have either transitioned or are, you know, gay, have literally chopped off their boobs and that kind of thing. Like these are literally friends that I, you know, know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm never going to like scream in their faces and that sort of thing and say, you're not real. But it's like, I will speak out about, you know, my opinions. I won't shy away from that. But I will always acknowledge that it's like, this is still a person. And, you know, if you are going after children, that's a different thing. And I will not pull any punches and I do not give a shit at all. But if you are an adult, I will still have, you know, compassion for you. You're still a human being. Um, And I think it's just, you know, different strokes for different folks about how, you know, the tone that they use. But I do think that's one of the reasons why my content is effective, especially with this generation.
2: So with that said, I don't know when the audio cut out Guys, this yeah. has been a super long episode And we've done something outside of the norm We want to leave our comfort zones And have on people with very challenging opinions So with that said, you guys If you enjoy content like this Please leave a comment down below Because we are very excited for our guest coming on next Sunday That's yeah. going to surprise you guys There's going to be some drama okay? And uh, yeah, let us know if you want more content like this Graham, you want to do your thing?
0: Yeah, as usual, make sure to subscribe Add me on Instagram, at and you can get a free stock S-E-L-B-Y. down below S-E-L-B-Y. in the description.
2: It'll be linked down below. So thank you guys so much. All the way up to thousand dollars when until you make it to the <laughs> Dude, wait, wait, wait. Actually, what's your name? Carter. <laughs> Carter. That's a great name. Okay. Carter has been what I've wanted to name my son for the last like ten years. Wow. I've told everybody since I was like eleven. No, I guess it was maybe fourteen. I was probably twelve when I made that decision that I was going to name my son Carter. Carter. You have a fantastic name, my friend. Thank you, Carter. Thank You're you, a Carter. great yeah, guy. For he hanging was mainly, around this late. Everyone shout out Carter, W Carter, okay, down in the thanks, comments. Carter. He did everything so. Well, Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>